This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is always in favour of a willy extension. Uh, the players returned to training last week in expectation of the Premier League recommencing at some stage in June, probably, maybe, who knows. All except N'Golo Kante, who understandably put the health of his family and himself before the expediency of the Premier League. Quite right, in my opinion, and fair play to him. Uh, there was a glimpse of normality at Chelsea last week with the announcement that both Willy Caballero and Oli Giroud have signed contract extensions, which, given the uncertainty of football's future, seems to be a sensible decision for all parties. But as ever, William tells us what we already know in putting doubt on his future in full knowledge that the club are very unlikely to agree to a three-year contract for a player in his 30s. Sounds like one willy has been extended while the other willy may be wandering. Oh, Chidge. Yes, oh, indeed. Chidge. Yes, indeed. Lots oh, of willies shit. tonight. And for, for, for some completely unknown and bizarre reason, I have entitled Chelsea Fancast 506 Willy Extensions. There's nothing like a knob gag to start a Monday evening off. Is there, Jonathan? No. No. I'm naked, I'm naked by the way, doing this podcast. Oh, 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 oh. No change there. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I know. I, I'm just, I, I can't remember what it was on, but I, I was I was inside. There's so many Zoom uh, kind of get-togethers that people are having at the moment, and somebody was telling me. I think it was Johnny Dyer actually that uh, some some bloke decided was in a Zoom meeting for work, and he clearly couldn't be bothered to get dressed, so he had a T-shirt on, but he forgot, and he got up in the middle of the meeting, and he was completely stark bollock naked, other than his T-shirt. Yes. Which is rather embarrassing if you're in a work meeting. Um, Jonathan, are you well? I'm good, thank you very much. Yes, I'm, I'm industrious, good, um, uh, uh, making lots of decisions about how to um, to deal with the uh, the slightly mad inducing aspect of lockdown, which is now, I think, emerging for most of us. But um, 
but yeah, and at the moment I'm uh, digitizing our uh, from a VHS cassette uh, our two-one win at Highbury in the Champions League when uh, Bridge scored in the last few minutes. So, what uh, did Wayne Bridge score a goal that sent us out of control? Yes, apparently, yeah. At um, at, uh, in a, I've got a, suddenly my mind has gone blank. And the Arsenal <laughs> out the Euro <laughs> two three four. That's right. Yeah, me. Uh, I'm going to move on. The, the, the humiliation. The humiliation. Um, finally, Jonathan, are you looking forward to tonight's show? But, uh, but always, Chidge. You might yeah. ask me. That's it. But because it's, I think it's going to be a cracker, and I thought you might be as excited as I am. Did you see somebody said that we were like a couple of um, a couple of uh, detectives? I can't remember the two of them. They Crockett and Cro- Tubbs. Cro- yeah, Cro- we were the Crockett and Tubbs of. Uh, yeah. Of uh, unearthing, unearthing uh, Chelsea's history. I know, uh, I know. Forensic detectives, but you and I know nothing. It's down to experts, such as such as. Very good segue, Jonathan. It's only taken five hundred and six episodes, but you've got it on the nose tonight. Uh, yeah, repeat performance from last week, actually, because it would have been incredibly remiss of us to have get to have got one of the main kind of experts on the Eddie McCready era of Chelsea. Uh, for last week when when it was all a bit poo uh so to not let him come back this week when it's absolutely fantastic and so for a second week in a row we've got the lovely mark Meehan, co-author of eddie mac eddie mac and also long-term writer for cfc uk and before that the chelsea independent mark good evening Chidge. good on good evening jonathan really good to be back again this evening really looking forward to it should be a good evening I am very much looking forward to it again. I'm I'm just loving, absolutely loving, uh, you know, kind of wallowing in this nostalgia. Uh, you know, I, I I know that, you know, not everybody shares that view, but I'd much rather talk about this than the uh, the absolute horseshit that, you know, there's nothing to talk about, people. There is nothing to talk about in football. There really isn't. Uh, you know, no, Chid. Surely Twitter is telling us an abundance of things. For example, uh, Barclay is going to uh, to Newcastle. I'm, I tell you what, actually, do you know what? It's so farcical. I'm I'm going to do something I haven't done for about I don't know thirty five years. Uh, on a show coming to you soon on the Chelsea fans, I'm going to drop an acid tab, and then we can talk about the current state of football. Because you know what? It'll probably make as much sense as what's going on at the moment. There is people out there who also do podcasts like us. What are you talking about? What is the point? Anyway, enough. I'm, I, I could go on for a rant about this for two hours. I'm not going to because we have a show to do. And on the show tonight, we discuss the extensions of Willie and Ollie. Uh, we discuss Kante's caution and wonder whether the other Willie will wander. So there is a bit of football to talk about. I lied. Uh, but the, more, the, main, the main feast, the main attraction tonight, in parts two and three, we continue our 50 Years of Chelsea series looking back at the 1976-77 season. Uh, We look at Eddie McCready's second season in charge of Chelsea. Can Chelsea's young guns shoot their way back to Division 1, as Eddie himself promised? And, of course, in Part 4, we wrap up with your emails. And there are loads tonight. There's four emails and one big post from Instagram, which the two boys won't know about because I shoved it in later on today. But I'll... uh, I'll, 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 Well, I might have to do that because I didn't bother to email Jonathan the script afterwards. But there you go. Whatever. Uh, Now, don't forget, of course, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast and you know what john i've just you know there's that that kind of um awful song about mickey mouse m-i-c-k-e-y-m-o-u-s-e remember that yeah 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 i think we should start doing the mixler uh uh you know address in that kind of m-i-x-l-r.com 
forward slash Chelsea fan cut. I don't know. I work on it. I need some work. Well, I'd like. I'd like to know how you you come up with a tune with it as well. Then I'll, I don't know. I'll, I, I'll stagger along with you. I might. Ha- I might hand it to the ruddy V's to work work something out. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, they'd be happy to do so. They are brilliant, mate. I, I mean, I well, I should tell. We're all, Mark, poor old Marg, he's been five minutes and we're already off on some ridiculous tangent. But uh, I, I got. I know, I know. I, I've been here all week. Um, but um, I, I, I quite often sit there bored watching the TV, and I'm on my phone. And I'm usually kind of on Facebook or Twitter, and my missus is sitting there, and occasionally, randomly, a Ruddy V's video will turn up on Facebook, and I just burst out like, "Sarah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah you got to watch this. You got to watch this." And she looks at me, she says. Oh my God, you're all mad, aren't you? I said, yes. Anyway, uh, we digress. Uh, Mixler, you know what the URL is. It's mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast. Join in the chat, post in the chat room. Loads of you come on there every week. Although I have to say, since football stopped, there are many less of you because all the people who aren't here are people who, you know, have to, like heroin, listen to the latest of what goes on about the football and, and the matches. Whereas the other people just like to be here and chill out and have a chat with mates. That's really what it's all about. I'm lo- I love seeing you all in here. I will name chat you just to shame you paul crowder moniac yaks is back brilliant i saw alan may score drink vodka bonnie rig blues the man responsible for the strange tweet comparing me and jonathan to crockett and tubbs rob coombe uh yanislav blue bert stoltz adam finnegan and many many more good to have you all in hope you enjoy the show tonight great we'll be back very very shortly to talk football Well, when I say talk football, I mean just moan about the fact there isn't really much football going on. As you all know, let's stop moaning about it because it's getting really tedious and boring. But uh, there has, I, I mean, you know, you know, Jonathan and I moan, as you know, all the time about the fact there's such a plethora of absolute nonsense being written and spoken about, about transfers and this rumour, that rumour, the other rumour. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows who's going to have any money for transfers. It's all complete nonsense and spurious. But this week, I can't believe it, this week we have... Uh, some bona fide news to discuss. Um, let's first talk about uh, Willy Caballero and Oli Giroud both getting a year's contract extension. I have to say, Jonathan, I think that this makes a lot of sense in the current climate, given that we don't know what's going to be going on. Um, they, I thought Oli was brilliant towards the end of the season. In fact, I think he made a really big difference to the way we, where we played uh, when Tammy wasn't fit. And I thought Willy... You know, apart from the fact that he's he's got a, a bit of, uh, I think a bit like Tourette's, we'll call it the Barrettes, you know, as in Peter Beretta. You know, he does like kind of dropping the ball occasionally, but I think he's a good backup. And I think they're both, you know, those are two good extensions. I, for one, am happy. Are you? I think having been weaned on Barotta and, and Karim, um, Caballero would, would, would normally get a run in Chelsea's first team if, um, for the fact that these, these kind of strange aberrations of running out for no apparent reason for the ball and then and then deciding changing your mind and running back and then realizing the ball had come across the goal and been smashed into the goal as uh, as Chelsea's imminent signing Chilwell scored against us in the Leicester City game if you remember yes but, um, but yeah it's um it's the, what I find is we're in researching everything we're, uh, uh, to try and have a, a kind of element of a comment 
element of her personality in uh, in this show, talking about past stuff, and Chidge gives us the odd um, YouTube clip. Other clips come up, and it was a delight to watch Karin um, against Millwall in the FA Cup when, um, what was that ridiculous referee, Bodenham never gave any penalties despite them being nailed on. And uh, there was a penalty shootout, and Karin managed to, to lurch for all five penalties completely in the wrong direction without <laughs> any, any, I didn't look at the slightest as if he was interested in saving or he'd given up. It was just, you just thought, oh God, yes, of course. A, a, a goalkeeper who doesn't impose his personality at all. So um, to have Caballero, who clearly has an enormous personality and is very popular within the team. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's been, uh, he's been given an extension because he's, um, you can tell they're all very fond of him. He's a motivator. He's uh He's, uh, he's a very decent backup. And in fact, there was a period where we thought he might play for the whole of the season if, uh, when uh, Kepper was having his, uh, his, um, his wobblies. Um, uh, and, and I think we'd have discovered that, in fact, Kepper would have been back in. But he was there and always, always willing to just give of his best. And I think he's a great uh, servant to the club and absolutely deserving of this, of this um, extension. I think, uh, good on you, Willie. I think he's terrific. Mark, what say you? Uh, uh, yeah, on the subject of penalties, um, yeah, I remember Karin and always going the wrong way on penalties. So I think it's good news because in terms of penalties, Willie's good at saving penalties. Yes, yep. he is. Uh, he served us well when Kepper was out of favour last season. So he's a good number two, makes sense in the current climate. So that's a good decision. Uh, and I think it's a good decision to renew Drew's contract as well. He's only been with us two years, but in that short space of time, he clearly, you know, virtually won us the Europa League single-handedly the year, year before last. And his goal ratio, Giroud, I was looking at it today. He's only actually started 39 games for us. But in, in the two years he's been with us, he scored 21 goals. Now, I appreciate some of those goals will have come off the subs bench. Jimmy Greaves-esque almost. Yeah, yeah but weren't some of them finish, playing against... Jock Finneson-esque, uh, I would say. Playing against against Farmers, tonight's team. Mm. Mark, weren't they, Sorry, playing, weren't they playing against Farmers in the... Uh, in the Europa League, wasn't it a Farmers Eleven? Weren't they oh, some of the goals he scored? Or Dynamo Farmers Eleven, yeah, or <laughs> Slavia Farmers Eleven, <laughs> Eintracht Farmers. Yeah. Mate, I, I know we hate Arsenal, but there's no need to be that rude, Jonathan. Oh. <laughs> uh, what about talking of, uh, um, you know, uh, well, we kind of mentioned Ollie, so we could, I think Ollie and we, I think it's good. I'm really, I, I have to say, I, I look, I mean, it's actually quite pertinent, isn't it? Because later on, when we talk about. 76, 77 and all that, um, you know, and, and having, you know, read the book again or parts of it, certainly, you know, it's really interesting that Eddie McCready made clear you have to have a really good balance of young'uns and old'uns. And, and I think it's really good to have some experience. I mean, you know, for God's sake, Oli Giroud's won a World Cup. You know, Willie played for Argentina. You know, these are very experienced professionals and you need a few of those in the side as well as your youngsters. Uh, now, um, Willie, I, I don't even I don't even know where I found this, but probably some interview to a Brazilian newspaper or something. But William does his usual talk, Willie waving, I think we'll call it. You know, he's kind of flirting with everybody, saying, "Well, I might do, I might not do, I might do." You know, we all know that he's put in a contract request of three years, knowing full well that Chelsea will not sign anything above a two-year contract. And probably would prefer to do a one-year contract, which means he'll go as soon as the season's finished. And I mean, I, I know he also made the point that he will see the season out with Chelsea, which is, you know, the honourable thing to do. Um, now, look, over and above the will he or won't he, no pun intended, um, and should he or shouldn't he, 
I wrote an article. I need to pump it out again, actually, because uh, I, I was being a bit remiss about that. But I basically wrote an article this week for Football London on on the boys from Brazil because I was quite curious about the number of players that we've had from Brazil and their ups and downs. Um, and without, you know, go and read it if you want to read it. But the, the, the punchline for me was that Willie will probably go. William will probably go. But I have a suspicion he may be the last Brazilian we'll see at the club for a while. And I think in spite of the fact that, like most of the Brazilians we've had, there's a bit of disappointment about their career. I, I, I kind of think, you know, sometimes you, you, you don't realise what you've got until you've lost it. And I think that maybe the passage of time will be kinder on William than the jip he seems to get from people uh, far too often, I think. Mark, I mean, where, where, do, you, where, where do you stand on William? Uh, I think in terms of his negotiation, he's going for three years. I agree that's not going to happen. So that could be his agents or manoeuvring him out the door. I think if William leaves, um, I, I, he goes with my best wishes. You know, yeah. if he could take the corner and cross the ball more often, it'd be going greater wishes. But he has served the club well. Mm. He's done well. You know, and if he does go, I really don't mind where in the world he goes to, except one club in North London yeah. he keeps getting rumoured with. Uh, I'd like to think he would sort of take. Uh, after Joe Cole uh, of this world, and that'd be the last club on earth he would think of moving to. It'd actually knacker his song as well if he goes there. Mm, I, I agree Duff, with all that. Duff was the other one, wasn't he? Duff said he wouldn't go. He was offered uh, terms with uh, Spurs and he wouldn't go there just for, yeah. of, for Chelsea. Correct. Yeah, unlike the chicken kisser. Yeah, he couldn't wait to go there and celebrate that fifth goal against us a number of years ago. Yes. What about uh, you, Jonathan? Uh, I, I mean, it's I I the, the the whole kind of tenor to the article really was that you know I don't know you you me you and Mark we're not dissimilar in age and I I grew up you know just just reveling in astonishment how fantastic Brazilian players were so when many years later my club starts buying all these Brazilian players apart from the fact that we kept on buying Brazilian defenders which seemed a bit of a a contradiction in terms. You know, we always hope that, oh, we got a Brazilian. You know, he even looks like Jarzinho. He's going to, you know, so I wonder if, in a sense, it's our expectations that are the real disappointment because, you know, why why on earth would he be Rivellino or Jarzinho? He's William, you know, and actually, as Mark said, he's been a great servant to the club. He's played over 350 games, you know. I think it'll be sad when he goes. I think they've all been pretty good. I think it... it yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. But I think yeah, our expectations I, I, are because no, they're Brazilian, they should be better. Well, I think it's because we're an elite club. We have to keep remembering that. And we've got had... And if a player isn't quite as as absolutely superb as we thought he'd be, I mean, I suppose it's like putting Hullet in the 94 side, is you thought, oh, my God, he's completely fabulous. If he'd had fabulous players around him, we might have been more critical and thought, well, he loses the ball occasionally or he loses concentration or he's a bit old. But but uh, it's like even, even Oscar... Oscar was was infuri- oh, yeah, infuriatingly yeah. Uh, excellent, and then and I mean completely inconsistent, and then just to seem to disappear, and then would kick people for a, for a period. But but as you say, I mean I was a, I'm a big fan of Louise. I thought Louise played some wonderful games for us. Big um, game player. Big 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 games. He was absolutely fabulous, and 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 I've loved having them. But yeah, uh, yeah I think it may be it may be that they rely on the. Uh, on the kids to get them uh, to get them through, as is happening, and it may not be necessary. And also, once we've been talking about it, that financially it might not be ever again a good idea to get somebody from there and pay them huge wages. Um, and we don't know whether whether they will still. They seem to have handled the whole process of lockdown so bizarrely. Whether they'll still be in it when we're out of it, if that's the case, if we manage to get some some decent um, 
policies in, in, in situ. I don't know how you do that, only how you get foreign players in. I don't know, I don't know how you achieve it. You know, but it's because New Zealand have managed, haven't they, at the moment, but that's because they've not let anybody in but Australians. And Australia have got a very low... Very they must low, be the uh, only country in the world that lets Australians lets in. Australians in. <laughs> but, uh, We're going to sign get, some Australians. Get, that's where we move to next. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. My name's Bruce and so is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> The, the other thing I'd add about William Chidge is obviously when we talked about last week, football is going to have a reset now with everything going yeah, on. So, absolutely. you know, is he may not get a three-year contract anywhere. He may not get the salary he's looking for. No. You know, now the, the world no. has dramatically changed. The football market has to has to change with oh, it. Really? You know, yeah. You know, so you know, if he goes, he goes, but he may not go with the package he might be expecting. You know, he may he'll probably have to downsize. They may not be in next season, may they be, Mark? In which case, you'll be sitting around thinking, well, where do I go? I've give, if I've given up with Chelsea, you know, and if they'd said, well, look, have another year's contract, it might have been the perfect thing for him to do. I think it's a really risky thing to want a three-year contract in this situation. Well, exactly. I mean, this is the thing. You know, I, I know I'm, I do sound like the, the harbinger of doom all the time, but, uh, you know, I mean, we had a very interesting chat on our CFC UK WhatsApp group, didn't we, Mark, about the state of affairs. And yeah. and I've been saying it, uh, we had a board meeting on CST, we had a, you know, the virtual pub walkers Zoom meeting last Friday, all Chelsea boys, and, uh, and another one on Saturday that you were in, Jonathan. You know, my view remains the same, that football, when we come back, will be fundamentally changed because there will not be any money around, you know. I mean, even even the billionaires' clubs will not. I mean, you know, Roman hasn't really. Roman's trying to be try has tried to run Chelsea as a going concern for the last few years. So you know, William may find that the best offer he's got is to stay at Chelsea. So maybe that chapter has not quite uh, finished yet. Now, um, okay, project restart. Well, it, it does look as though it's happening. I mean, there was an announcement this week that they can now do close contact training, which uh, seems just nuts. But there you go. But they are back in training. Um, I do think something is going to happen behind closed doors in June because they need the money. We keep saying this every week. I'm not going to repeat myself. But the really interesting thing that came to light this week uh, was our, our one and only genuine world-class player, Mr N'Golo Kante himself, uh, like Troy Deeney, said, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not coming back. I don't feel it's safe. I've got a, a, a family member with heart issues, I think. And uh, I don't feel safe to do this. And my my, my initial reaction, uh, J.K. was good on you, mate. I agree. You don't. I mean, you I know will will agree with this, Jonathan, because you, as you quite often said, you've got got health issues, which means you don't want to get this damn virus. So I, I thought, well, good for you, mate. How do you feel? Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and great for him to be considering his family. As I have to say, I thought. Troy Deeney as well. Hats off to him. I really five... like Troy Deeney. Oh, mate. I think I yeah. think he's a great personality. I yeah. think he's a... got bollocks. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He comes across so well, and he sort of says what he feels, and he's not offensive. He says it in just a uh, an assertive way. And he said, "I've got a five-month-old old kid with breathing difficulties." Well, absolutely right. He doesn't. He... Of course he can't be in a situation where he, he possibly catches the virus and his kid dies. Absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, in the same way with Conte. And that is therefore a despair to see on Twitter large numbers of Chelsea fans saying... Really? He, oh, yes. Oh, yes. He's a coward. He can't face up to it. What is the matter with him? Well, so we don't care. You're not very good anyway. Look, absolutely bizarre responses from people who are supposedly Chelsea fans, clearly not appreciate i mean coward what why why is it you know well the other thing was don't pay him then they're saying well you know 
I suppose there's a there's an argument for that. But why should he be penalised when he's protecting his family? I mean, for goodness sake. Absolutely. But but as I said, I've said before, I've said if Mark Worrell made a when he mentioned that, I said, well, it it actually it it, um, it undermines Chelsea's situation playing in the Premier League. If that's the case, if it's if there are other players like this, same with Watford, he's their main striker and he's a, he's a de- very decent player. Um, Dini and uh, and yet so they're going to be diminished it diminishes their involvement in the last few games of the Premier League by having to make decisions like that which to me undermines the 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 authenticity of the of the well I mean I I agree with all of that apart from I mean I I don't disagree with the last bit but I I would say Mark that you could or you could already argue that the integrity of the league's disappeared anyway uh, whatever they do next, unless they come back uh, like it was, you know, before the lockdown. Um, and of course, you, I suppose you could also say that, well, you know, players get injured and they're unavailable. So, you know, Kante missing because of coronavirus is no different. Troy Deeney missing because of coronavirus is no different. You could say that, couldn't you? Yeah, yes, yes, you could say it. Um, but the other thing I'd add in terms of Kante, it isn't just protecting his um, immediate family. If I'm, I'm right, didn't his brother die a couple of years ago? Yeah. So he's got ill health history in his family as well. So completely un- understand his position. Yes, you can make a debate about whether we should pay him or not. But it's the whole thing. I gave my views last week about Project Restart. And I'm seeing today they're now aiming for the 26th of June, possibly. And I, I do think the whole thing is flawed. I said last week, um, the best time to actually restart is when it's safe for fans to watch it. I think watching it in an empty stadium isn't going to work. Uh, and I also think at the same time is, yes, you might lose Kante through injury. Yes, you might lose Troy Dini through injury. I completely understand, accept that. What if that becomes a domino effect? And it's not one player, it's two players, it's three players, it's five players. You know, Jonathan's right. It completely weakens the whole idea about, you know, actually playing football because then you find yourself in a situation, if they then force it to happen and the games get played, does someone get relegated? Does someone miss out on a European place as a result of this? You know, quite possibly. As I said last week, you know, I accept it has to restart. I accept the financial part of it, but I would rather wait until the new year when it is safe to do so. Yeah, but the thing is, you and I know, and I'm sure Jonathan would agree with this as well, is that the the, the Premier League don't care about that. They just they, they don't care if if I mean you know, in spite of their bizarre rule that you've got to play a full strength squad, if they farmed out all the reserves to play these matches, as long as the matches are played, that's all they care about. J.K. Well, we've talked about it. They constantly refer to shareholders, and they 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 uh, and also I actually think they're thinking that this is also a. a a possible, possible. But looking at the the figure, viewing figures for the Bundesliga, they'll make a profit. <laughs> they might make, they'll make money out of this. They can see this being an enormous money spinner. I think the fit, the problem, problem we're going to have with this is where they decide to play it, as to whether fans attempt to congregate around their teams. I think this is something that they they've really got to be dealing with. And you don't want the police having to go out to separate fans. If fans decide, if particularly with what's going on at the moment with. Uh, Cummings deciding that you know it's a completely different interpretation of the lockdown. Uh, uh, some people will are mad enough uh, to go out and even look for a scrap, or or even just look to look to support their teams by going near the stadia. 
I think this is unearthing an enormous can of worms because I, I, I don't think they do this in uh, in Germany. One of the reasons it works, I think they're slightly more disciplined than we are. They're I much better at obeying orders in Germany, yes, aren't they? I was, about to say, I was saying that exactly the same thing, but in a <laughs> rather more subtle way, Chick. You know me, JK. Subtlety is my middle yes, name. Yes, yes. Call a spade a spade. Yes, yes. Call a spade a, a spade. Yeah. So, Mark, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, go on. Mark, Mark, Mark was going to say something. I think. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. 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 Mark get in there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The only thing I, I was going to add, is, and, and we can have a bit of fun, you know, about them missing out on the title. But if we imagine for one minute that this does happen, and Liverpool only have a few more games to win the title for the first time in many, many years. Do you really think that's going to be an empty stadium? The streets around Anfield are going to be empty. You know, I really don't think no. so. So no. you, you know, have those issues as well. They will turn out in force. You know. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. there'll be fights. I think there'll be fights there'll with be fight, the yeah, I was going to say there'll, there'll be, be trouble. Yeah. yeah, completely. Yeah. completely. And let's face it, they, they wear masks a lot in Liverpool anyway. So, you know. Oh, sorry, different kind of mask. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, on, on that slightly controversial point, uh, maybe we should probably move on. As we, no, I, I think we've done it to death, haven't we, about the, the what's in the news this week. So I think it's can I just, time... Can I just say one, one, one thing? Yeah, yeah, Kush can. It's, it's about, about Oli Giroud. I actually, it's what, interesting with the parallels, with looking about the way teams play, um, we'll get on to it, it's talking about Eddie McCready, but it was lovely to re- re- read him in, in your bookmark where he actually talks about... Um, he changed things around to have two strikers and he brought Tommy Langley in. And, and in the same way, I actually felt that, that, um, that Giroud was actually a formation of a team with Gilmore, that we've talked about this before, that really looked absolutely uh, the best that they've played all season. I know it wasn't as exhilarating as early on with all the one-touch football and Tammy being on fire, but I felt that the pattern that he had, that Lampard had created for the last few games, looked with Giroud as, as a focal point, really began to work for me. And I think this is also one of the reasons why he's got an extension, as well as similarly being a very, very good, clearly uh, um, very good with the boy, exactly the same as Caballero, really top man. I just think that he's, from a future point of view, I think he's uh, he fits in with the way that suddenly it, it made it work because Abraham was injured. You thought, well, I've stumbled on something here, you know. Well, his, pa- his pace isn't an issue, is it? No, not when well, so, he's so he's so he, but he's just unbelievably skillful. Some of the headers he get, you've really got to hold the header he scored in the in the Europa League is one of the best Chelsea goals I've ever seen. I yeah, great, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. But similarly, other little touches and things he does. The the follow up goal he scored the other day, or the other day when we were still watching football um, uh, after he'd hit the post was just absolute brilliant striker's goal. And you then when he scores goals like that, you appreciate indeed the World Cup winner, really top class player. So if if he plays as well as that, and he looks as if Frank looked as if when we stopped, he was actually creating something that that seemed to me to be to be the sum of all the parts he'd been searching for in the season. So if we do. Have a, if we do restart in June, I wouldn't be surprised to see him carrying on, even though Tammy will be fit, just because that seemed to work with, with Billy Gilmore as, the, as a fulcrum, because it seemed to work wonderfully well, for me. All will be revealed. Mark, you got you, you, you itching to say something? or uh... No, no, I was just nodding to agree with Jonathan there. Okay. You know, I think just before we went into lockdown, that last game against Everton, I thought we were superb in that 4-0 victory. Yeah, How yeah, Gilmore yeah. linked up with Drew. Drew got the last goal before lockdown. I thought he had a fine game that day. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm pleased he signed the contract. Yeah, yeah. good. Me too. Me too. All right. Well, uh, quick plug before we disappear for a break before part two uh, for CFC UK, uh, which, of course, both Mark and I write for and uh, and Jonathan Reed. Um, 
but I do, uh, I do, I do. I yeah, do. I know you do. No, I, I know you do. I like you both. <laughs> I know. Well, Mark, Mark's um, history with fanzines um, is is something to behold. Actually, I know it's around somewhere. He gave me a gave me a book. What have I done with it? Oh, the, the ten years was, of the Chelsea the Independent. Yeah, I mean, I've got my glasses on, but I can't bloody read a thing. So I can't. It's in my bookshelf somewhere. For people listening, Chidge is, is bending, he's leaning over and looking in a stacked bookshelf that looks as if it was from IKEA. No, no, it's old, mate. Is it older than that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There's the and book. It. It. There it is. There it is. From from Save, Save the, the Bridge to Wembley, Wembley. Uh, the story of the Chelsea Independent, compiled and edited by Mark Meehan. Now, you know, I wasn't really into fanzines then. I mean, I only really came across them when I was at CFC. So I, I just basically really having... What, what amazes me about it, Mark, I mean, we think we have some good writers amongst us at, at CFC UK, and we do. What I, I couldn't believe, because, uh, of course, I didn't know, you know, the, the, the writers that were in the Chelsea Independent. I mean, yeah. Jesus wet, Peter Watts, John King, yeah. others... You yeah. obviously, yeah. We had we had own, our own youth policy there. Yeah, we spotted talent and then yeah. went on to bigger and better things. Yeah, John King wrote for the Chelsea Independent, but it wasn't just that. Um, some of the people that wrote the Independent actually then went on to work for the club. Yeah, you know, they wrote yeah. for the, the, the program as well. So Ken Bates poked some of our best writers. He thought he was that good. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway, the current. Uh, uh, fanzine for Chelsea, the main one, of course, the CFC UK, as I mentioned, and uh, you can still get them. Uh, DJ's doing a fine job getting them out to the people. Uh, there's a big, uh, whopping, great big JT special uh, around at the moment, which uh, is fantastic. It's a bumper issue. Everybody's kind of done their own tribute to JT, uh, and uh, obviously you can't get them at the store because there's no football, but you can get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net, or you can uh, basically order a, a proper copy by sending your address uh, via email and then pay £2, including first-class postal delivery, via PayPal to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. So there you go. And I think a few are floating around on eBay. Tim's been putting them up on eBay. So there you go. Anyway, we're going to go for a quick break and then we're going to talk about uh, the season that was 1976 to 1977. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I, of course, am Stanford Chidge. And, uh, of course, I'm, I'm looking... I'm, the, the joy of Zoom. I'm, I'm looking at the lovely, uh, scintillating Jonathan Kidd. Oh, Chidge, you've never called me that before. Yes. How's your studio? I can see a photograph of your dad sticking out of a bag. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I've just put... Um, I'm still attempting to write my dad's... Um, uh, uh, finish off his autobiography, but I'm also going to do a, a kind of lockdown um, documentary. So I've just put, I've got hundreds of his stills. I'm putting them into Final Cut Pro with a view to then making a, a me ch- chatting about him. And I've asked various people um, who like him to to do me little videos of anybody mm. listening fancies being in my show 
just say uh, and knows a bit about my dad made 280 films talk about what you think he's on talking pictures tv all the time so if anybody wants to uh, um just to contribute or even just a note i'll read it out i'm happy to because it's it's a lockdown doco so i'm using um i've got lots of home movies stuff with my dad and uh, i've taken the odd shot of him very obviously on the tv which i'm sure is probably illegal but i think somebody's gonna you know just because it's a lockdown doco that so this is him in that and uh, and i'm going to act out a few of the things he was in as well i've got a little green screen downstairs so uh, so i'm gonna say and of course then he was in uh, i'm all right jack and then i'll cut to me standing next to me going why don't you go and photograph somebody else jonathan and, uh, yeah what a bite the workers. What a, yes, indeed. Absolute shard. It's a great, great film. That. Great, great uh, film. Anyway. Oh, film. Yeah, thank you. But uh, that's what I'm up to. Yeah, so. Other than uh, Jonathan and his lockdown doc, uh, we're absolutely delighted this week for the second week in a row. I can't actually think, you know, maybe in the early days when obviously we had the same people on every week. It's un- unlike us, Mark, to have two people, uh, the same person on for two weeks in a row. So uh, not, not, not that you should feel honoured or anything. The honour is ours, I can assure you. But we've got yeah. Mark Meehan. Uh, currently a CFC UK writer, formerly Chelsea Independent, and of course he wrote the Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac book, which we're going to draw heavily on tonight. Mark, great to have you on the show again this week. Thank you very much, Chidge. Uh, oh, the only other thing, uh, this is a shameless plug by me, that Chelsea Independent book you mentioned, like if, if people follow me on Twitter and want a copy, just get in touch with me through a direct message and then I can tell you how to do so. Yeah, I, I'm guys... Uh, do it because it's. Br- I'm, I, I flicked through it and uh, it, it's brilliant. It really is. It's opened up a whole new world to me. Um, right. Uh, before we get on with the, talking about the 76, 77 season, I'm just going to give a quick plug to our Patreon account uh, where you can become a Chelsea Fancast patron and help us uh, co- cover the cost of running all of our shows uh, so that we can carry on doing them. Uh, it's very easy. Just donate whatever you want per show, well, per month, really because uh, you can't really do it per show. But anyway, you know, a couple of quid, that's fine. Um, www.patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Uh, it's also, occasionally we, we put up stuff that we don't put up anywhere else. Uh, and uh, quite often we put up stuff that is available everywhere else. But either way, you can get hold of me quite easily and I will try and reply to you as I as I do my best so to do. And you can send in any, you know, if you want to have something read out on the show, send it there as well if you're a Patreon member, and I will look kindly upon you. Right, enough twaddle from me. Um, now we're going to the the uh, the main course uh, of this evening, which, of course, uh, is Chelsea uh, in the 1976-77 season, part of our 50 Years of Chelsea series, where we're, we're basically looking back at uh, one season every Chelsea fancast episode. We started in 1970, uh, and we're just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. Uh, we're almost, uh, we're kind of halfway through our first decade, really, a bit, bit more than halfway. Last week, we left it with, uh, you know, a, well, I mean, on paper, it was the, you know, worst season in Chelsea's history, apart from 62, I think. Well, actually, it might have been their lowest finish to date, but... Uh, uh, obviously, you know, things get worse in a few weeks' time, but we have to wait for that. Uh, but it wasn't good, although actually that would be somewhat of a false way of looking at it, as um, as Eddie McCready does, did say himself in Mark's fabulous book. But before we get into all that, I mean, the, the thing that was utterly clear, Mark, and, and I was reminded by this by reading the book, you know, Eddie made it very, very clear when he took the job. Uh, in fact, what I didn't realise uh, until I read his fabulous interview was that it was his suggestion that Ron Suet went upstairs and he carried on at the end of the 75-76 season. Am I right? No, 74-75. Get it right. And um, 
basically he said to them that he would get Chelsea up in in two seasons. He'd need the first season to really get a handle on how good the players were and how the you know what the best system would be what he was dealing with really so he didn't really think that the previous season was too much of a problem for he was quite happy that they'd managed to finish mid table relatively comfortable and unscathed but the first the first thing that that struck me about this season 76 77 was that it was very much promotion or bust the club by now were 3 million in debt and they absolutely had to get promoted and therefore, Eddie had to make good on his promise to uh, Brian Mears, didn't he? A lot of pressure. A lot, a lot of pressure. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, we by the July of '76, we were 3.4 million in debt. Um, the club's creditors had given the club a one-year moratorium, so we had one year. So it was you know promotional bust. You know, so there was no question. You know, Eddie had to get us back into the first division. He had the added pressure. In times like that, the vultures start circling. You know, so in July, Chelsea had to address, you know, resist a record-breaking transfer bid from Liverpool. Liverpool bid three hundred fifty thousand for Ray Wilkins, and that sort of pressure would have been hard, you know, for the club not to take the money. But they turned it down because Wilkins was a fundamental part of that side. You know, club captain, and he played a key role over the next hour and twenty minutes. We're going to talk about, uh, yeah. They did. I mean, you know, to be fair to, to to the club, I mean, they did promise Eddie that they wouldn't sell anybody. Uh, I mean, they also promised that they wouldn't buy anybody. But, you know, they didn't actually sell anybody. So pretty much apart from um, Ian Hutchinson finally retiring, bless his heart, the, the side that went into uh, this season was pretty much the side that, uh, you know, finished the season before. And Jonathan, they had a really, really good start, actually. Um, you know, basically, they only lost uh, one game in their well, a couple of games in their first kind of first month or two. Um, kicked off with Orient. Now, this this made me chuckle, Jonathan. Uh, the Orient match. We we played them down there uh, away away uh, at Orient, and we won one nil. And you know, I heard you a few a few weeks ago talking about walls collapsing and aggro on the pitch, and there was more aggro on the pitch this time. In fact, the the, the Orient chairman. Uh, determined that Chelsea were animals and they were on the pitch. Were you one of the animals on the pitch, Jonathan? <laughs> Just asking for a friend, mate. You've known me for some time. Do you ever? Do you think I would ever have run on the pitch, ever? No, I just have this vision of you wearing bell bottoms with a silk scarf, saying exactly Chelsea headhunters. Hey, hey, that's you know, exactly what I look like. With, with I, longer I, hair, you yeah, know. Much, much longer hair, but... Um, uh, I've seen pictures of you when you were around that area. You looked a bit like Mark Bolan with less curly hair. Yeah, oh, th- Chidge, thank you. That's, that's no, you did. You're a good-looking lad. No, no, I did. I, 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 uh, I attempted to um, to dress in the uh, in the the trendy fashions. Yes, and wore and had high heels, which nearly everybody did. And you think, oh, I'm much taller. And of course, everybody else was much taller, so it made no difference whatsoever. I've got a terrible pair of. Uh, of uh, Anello and David and a, a Dulce's pair of, of shoes I've still kept actually just because I can't believe I ever wore them but um, uh, no I tended to um, I tended to not run on the pitch because my one attempt at doing so I remember I got hit very hard by uh, a policeman and but I your collar fell mate and yeah yeah and I thought remember thinking Jonathan this is such such a stupid idea but it was interesting that they made such an enormous fuss of the wall being knocked down and yet the few seasons before when we were elbowed out of the FA Cup when the wall fell down it wasn't wasn't mentioned but at this period at this time the the major thing that people used to say was I'm going on the pitch it was a, everybody did it it was a kind of thing that you just did 
you ran on the pitch. Everybody said, and so so why 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 was that? Why was that? Because it was like a, a rite of passage, wasn't it? It was something you 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 could do it and say, look, I got to the opposition. Look, I got the other end. Look, I'm waving at you. Look, here I... It was because it, it's it's a kid's thing, isn't it? If you look at so many of those people on, on the pitch were kids, but amidst them, there were other people who wanted to fight other people, and that was the other aspect of it. But so the... I mean, you know, we're going to get onto it, but uh, uh, ultimately, the number of times... It's, it wasn't mentioned as much, but the number of times that the the... the 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 pitch was invaded. I mean, cricket had the same problem. Everybody constant. They let you round the the edge, and you took advantage of it. Oh, and you they, had, they, they had freakers, as John Arlott famously described them. <laughs> he called them freakers. Yes, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was a kind of part of the of the era. Is that was. They, they, you? Everybody felt. Oh, I'm going to run on the pitch. I'll run. I'll run. All. I remember one bloke said about Lord saying, "I'm going to run. I'm going to run all the way round." Why? Well, because I can. You know, it was a kind of, you know, what, you know, what are we? We're, we're 18, you're 17. You think, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, great. Wow. But, no. you know, but, so it was that, that was the feel of it. But in this instance, yes, there were, there were big fights going on. That was the other thing is you get the opposition support. Well, they want to do the same. They want to have fights with the, because Chelsea have got such a reputation. But yet at the same time, the, the fans were actually phenomenal. This is the other thing to remember. The support at that period and support all the way through. Chelsea have always been supported away wonderfully. You know, to go and watch watch away is a completely different experience than watching at the bridge, even now as well. Whether we'll ever have this again, oh my God, what a prospect. We may not ever have this. But the support, the away support at, at Orient, I'm sure I wasn't at the, at the game, but I'm sure that it was, it was uh, well, once again, but I might have been at the game. I can't remember. You probably were, you probably were, Jonathan. I probably <laughs> was. This is the trouble with these bloody things. I keep thinking, oh, yeah, God, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I was che- Oh, yeah, God, I was there. But anyway, but it's it likely I was because it would have been before uni we'd gone back and it was August. So it's probably, I probably was there. But um, I, I, I don't remember the, I remember the running on the pitch again at the end. But but my attitude at the time was very much a, I'm, I don't want to get involved in this. I'm sorry, I, I value my body too much. I don't want to get, so I would, I'm afraid I'd, I'd flee as quickly as I could from these things. But um, uh, but yeah, but, but it, part of it was, as I say, was the support was so, um, excellent. And also this scarf-based thing that I really wish they'd get back to. I loved it. So I'm going on a bit here, but I just loved the whole process of of a, a scarf on your wrist, which was part of almost, you know, being a um, a Bay City, ro- Bay City roller. Was it, you know, that whole thing with the big flared trousers. And and also, so when, when, you, when a song was sung, all the scarves were held up, which was a great sight. It was great to be part of it. It's just something I don't know why that's gone, because it was... Even now, it would just be, look so fantastic to have all your supporters with that sea of scarves. I mean, they do it automatically at the cop. But, you know, why Why we've given it up, I don't know. And people didn't need to wear them around their neck, which you could. They just wear them on your wrist. I don't know why that's disappeared. But, uh, you know, it's it's part, it's partly to do with so many people wanted to fight other people. but And other people wanted to fight them. And then that was a part of the culture. But also partly because... Everybody was, it was a kind of different attitude was, yeah, we can be part of this. We can run on the pitch. We can, t- we can touch the players. We can do this. And after a bit, of course, the FA just frowned on it completely as we found when well, we, we, will, we will, we will get to that. We will yeah. get to that at the end because it, yeah. it was ver- a very famous incident of what very Jonathan's famous. talking about happened yeah. in the last home match against Hull. Yeah. Now you're a little bit younger there. than you're a little bit younger than Jonathan Mark, uh, but we, were you at Brisbane Road for the first match? You I, were I good man. Uh, and, and the thing about Brisbane Road, Jonathan, you know, mentioned it earlier. 
the walls always seem to come down at Brisbane Road. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, we played them in the FA Cup. Um, I think the following season, the nil draw, the walls came down again. So I, I think it might be about the design. Um, I think there was no hooliganism that day. Good Chelsea following. I think it was more Jock Finneson scored a late winner, two minutes from time. Yeah. You know, and it was that youthful exuberance of you know. Chelsea winning first day of the season. People ran on the pitch to celebrate. There was no hooliganism. Uh, just unfortunate. The side stand is where the wall came down. Um, and it was just the animals thing was from Brian Winston, their chairman. Yeah. Uh, and although he said you can't hold a club responsible for their supporters, some of whom behave like animals, he was actually making reference to the team. He was calling our players animals. Yeah, but well they kicked um, Laurie Cunningham, which is yeah, a good, good idea because he was very good. He was a very good player, Laurie Cunningham. Uh, and if you've not seen it, there's a brilliant documentary yeah, o- online about Laurie Cunningham. Brilliant player. But we had three players booked that day. We had Ray Lewington booked. We had Gary Stanley booked. And we had David Hay booked, all for fouling Laurie Cunningham. So he actually barred Eddie McCready from going into the director's box after the game, you know, which was an unusual thing at the time because there was that etiquette at football clubs that doesn't matter what happened on the pitch everyone shook hands afterwards and had a drink in, in, in the boardroom I think where there was fighting on the pitch was the next game which was Millwall away and there was certainly fighting that day yeah. well that, that was interesting because I mean you know we had had a good start we were unbeaten for the first few matches we were uh, top of the league uh and as you, I mean, actually, just very quickly, the, the, no, I'll get back to that in a minute. But uh, yeah, the Millwall game, first defeat uh, away. Um, I have a suspicion that a mutual friend, Al Gregg, was at that match because I think that, that, that might have been one of his first matches. I remember uh, in his book, uh, The Wrong Outfit, he describes that he, got in, he was in the wrong end. He was in the bloody Millwall home end and he had to get marched around. Were you at the Millwall match, Mark? No, I wasn't. And I think probably from a couple of friends I spoke to today, I'm probably glad I wasn't. Yeah. And, and if you've read John King's Football Factory, yeah. having read it and having listened to my friends today tell me all about Millwall that day, you know, you know I remember John King talking about the Football Factory and Millwall fans on housing estates. And like the two dear friends of mine, you know, I've been going football with them probably about the last 40 years, uh, Dan Ford and Chris Heffernan. They both went that day. Uh, one described it as scary. And the other described it as very hairy. Um, they came out of the station at New Cross. Um, they described all the housing estates surrounding sort of New Cross station on the way down to the den. And literally at random estates, Millwall fans coming out of every estate. So you get past one estate and then there's another, another, another one of them further down. And like Chris, what you said to me today, the one thing that he remembered from that is, and I don't know if you've ever been to the old den, um, the away end is at Ilderson Road and there's like an alleyway that goes down to the, to the away end and it's all horrible, corrugated fencing, etc. And Chris said this young lad runs past him, you know, with absolute fear in his eyes. And what we were taught at such a young age is if they're in trouble, what you should do, you should ask a policeman. So he goes up to the nearest policeman and says, excuse me, officer, you know, you know absolutely terrorised. Can you tell me where the away end is? And the policeman goes, there isn't one. <laughs> very pertinent yeah, and, um, and the other thing that day was um, Chris was saying he brought his girlfriend to the game that day you know, and I thought you brought your girlfriend to Millwall away <laughs> apparently apparently, she wanted to go to the game and like his best friend brought his girlfriend as well to the game and they were in the Ilton Road end and they just said actually the policeman was right there was no away end, no. you, know, uh, you know, and I think even before half time, a Millwall was three nil up. I think they were clapping the Millwall gold, purely in Sydney, just for their own, their own safety. Um, uh, and I think on that day, um, 
you know, the suicide squad of Chelsea fans, bless them, they went in the home end. You know, you know, so the cold blow lane then was the home end. Of and, I've, I've heard Martin and Danny, uh, you know, Danny Harkins talking about this. Yeah. Incredible. And I made down the stand, I said, what happened after the game then? Uh, well, you just took your head down and they quite understandably left before the end of the game and they just saw a bus when it came out. You know, didn't know where the bus was going, just jumped on the bus, yeah, get out yeah. of Dodge. And I think they were delighted it pulled up at New Crossgate Station. They jumped on the train. They got far enough away and they adjourned to the nearest pub. You know, a yes, really indeed. scary, hairy experience. Like you said, when yeah. you're walking down to the ground and all you can see is graffiti saying, Chelsea fans will die. Yeah, and they meant it, actually, as they, well. They That's the it, thing. Yes. I mean, look, talking of the fans, I mean, there are all sorts of... The other interesting thing that caught my eye about the, the beginning of the season, Mark, which, which you do describe in the book, uh, was this whole idea? Maybe you could just, you know, talk talk the listeners through this a little bit. I don't know if Jonathan knows this. I, I mean, maybe he, he he was dipping his hand in his pocket. But the supporters, knowing how parlous the club's finances were, put their hands in their pockets, and there was a lot of rallying around to raise money for the club. But some of them was were based on the number of goals we scored, weren't they? It was it was called cash for Chelsea. Um, <clears throat> and when I was researching the book, I tried and had no success. Google, Facebook, whatever. There was five Chelsea season ticket holders. And again, if anyone listening knows who they are, I think pat them on the back. They did a marvellous thing at the time. Ted Bailey, Ian Bailey, John Ferrand, Angus Greve and Tom Tremblay. They set up this thing called Cash for Chelsea where you donated money for every point earned. And they set out at the start of the season to raise £100,000. But what they also had after every home game like the boxing style bins where you put money in as appreciation. They, called, yeah. they were called nobbins. Yeah. See, there you go. There's another knob joke for your chidge tonight. Lovely. Love a knob gag. You know me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So after each game, fans could throw their loose change in as well. And it was. this is a true story. So I was trying to research the book, trying to track these guys down. And the guys I mentioned earlier, the pub we drink in, is, yeah, people that know me, is the Clarence North End Road. Old school drinker, you know, you know, it probably looks like a, a pub from the Sweeney and probably hasn't been decorated since it was filmed in there, if it ever was. And I was telling sort of guys I drink with um, about the book, and I talked about this, uh, and I said there was this other person, you know, and she appeared in the Southampton programme, and her name was Julie Stone. And she appeared on the back page of the Southampton programme as she'd done a sponsored walk from Birmingham to Worcester and had raised £63 for cash for Chelsea. And one of those strange twists of fate, whatever guy I know called Gary Gray was in the pub that evening and said you know that person you were looking for she's in the beer garden and I, I just thought it was a wind-up but actually she was in the beer garden and if you have bought the Eddie Mac book you know you'll find that she's done a chapter in there all about Castro Chelsea you know there's about 10 pages in there and you know she talks about Castro Chelsea the wonderful thing they did excellent stuff uh, Jonathan you remember that by the looks of it well I remember contributing I'm always very um <clears throat> throwing the few spare coppers I have about my person. The, cop- the odd sixpence finds its way into a little bin for Chelsea. Um, my, I, I just wanted to emphasise how completely pressurised the season was uh, for the manager and the team. He didn't obviously pass it on to the team, neither did the directors, because if they hadn't got promoted, what on earth would have happened to the club? It would have gone uh, into administration, obviously, but who would have bought it? Who would have been responsible? How would they? The the pressure was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I, I, they managed it, not to pass that on to the fans, though. The fans were very unaware 
because they were playing well, I think. But, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, really I want to talk. The good start really contributed, didn't it? Yeah, uh, and and, and the whole yeah. and the whole and the whole scene. I mean, this is something I want to pick up on actually when we kind of summarize and reflect on all of this, and and actually in particular Eddie Mac's uh, part in that, because I think in in so many respects, Jonathan, he was responsible for for that. And actually, he says in the interview that Mark did with him that you know he he made sure that he could shield the players from that as much as possible you know he he had a very light touch with them yeah, yeah. you know made sure that they were having fun a lot of them young kids of course so you know he had a big part to play in that um right just to kind of get back to the the timeline as it were i mean basically we had a great start to the season we didn't lose very much we uh won a lot of games um apart from the millwall one uh we were top of the table um, it was a good kind of start, uh, really, for the first two or three months of the season. The only blip on the horizon, or the only blip uh, along the way, really, uh, was losing to Arsenal in the League Cup, um, where basically Sammy Nelson, if you remember, I don't know if anybody remembers Sammy, I do, Northern horrible, Irish. Northern Irish. horrible player, Northern Irish. Kick, kicking lumps out of Gary Locke and Brian Basson, who who never played for us again. Do you remember, do you remember that, JK? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. I was at that game, yeah, yeah, and... Um... Uh, I'd forgotten how decent a player Bassam was actually, and yeah. uh, because of course he became, uh, didn't he become the players' um, representative didn't you, uh, for the players' union, um, uh, and and he's sort of slightly more remembered for that. But uh, um, he, uh, he he was a winger. I was got the, the I thought he was a midfield player, but of course he was a winger in the same way that Kenny Swain, who ended up playing fullback for Villa when they won the Champions League. Was um was a, a very decent goal scorer. I was a big fan of Kenny Swain's. I thought he was a terrific player. And can I just apologise briefly? I said I said last week that Wilkins wasn't my favourite. I think what I meant about that was was that I he never got stuck in Butch. He never because he was he was always he had other people. It wasn't his it. job, mate. You no, know, it wasn't. I know, I know, I know. But I'm I'm such I'm such a, a um. I'm not a purist. You can just see all the patterns I like. I like Mickey Thomas. I like Johnny Bumstead. I like um, I like players who, um, uh, who are, are really play midfield with a kind of grit with them. And he wasn't. He was a class act. And his his ability to play absolutely. I tell you, also the other play he reminded me of, except without the grit, was Dennis Wise was brilliant at finding people with passes. One of Dennis Wise's great strengths, as well as being very tenacious and slightly filthy, was his ability to spot players and deliver passes absolutely on, uh, you know, within a slide rule onto their feet. And Wilkins was absolutely the same and integral to the way, the way that I never knew that Liverpool had made this uh, offer for him. Mark never knew that. QPR did as well, Jonathan, because QPR, we talked about last week, uh, they nearly won the league and they were in the UEFA Cup the following season. So they they tried to buy Ray Wilkins as well. They 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 were the two offers Chelsea Chelsea turned down. Yeah. yeah well, well this, oh, that was this really is something that was really a positive thing for the board. It's quite interesting that, isn't it? Yeah. This is something I wanted to talk about. Actually, it's a good time to bring it in because um, I, I wanted to you know when I kind of went off on a different tangent. But Chelsea's starting eleven, which, which and the thing that interests me most about this season, it was very consistent on the whole. Uh, you know, team selection. Benetti in goal, Gary Locke, the fullback, or, and Graham Wilkins, fullbacks. Steve Wicks, David Hay, Mickey Droy came in as well, obviously. Gary Stanley, Ian Britton, Ray Wilkins, Steve Finiston, Ray Lewington, Kenny Swain. And and, and what really uh, intrigued me was the fact that Eddie Mack, I mean, to pick up on your point, JK, um, he wanted to build the team around Ray Wilkins, but he wanted Ray Wilkins to play further forward and to support 
or basically to exploit the holes that two strikers two would strikers. make yeah, yeah. because they, they would make these runs but he advanced. he was worried about he was worried about the fact that ray liked to also get back and, and defend and tackle and this is where where ray lewington came in because he wanted a tank uh, but he was also yeah. concerned about that's what he called him he called him the tank and ray lewington could tackle but he also needed the width so he basically had gary stanley and Ian Britton playing as kind of wide midfield players, getting up and down. So basically, what 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 he and he even admits this in the interview. He basically invented four diamond two. Yeah. You know, a holding a holding midfield player, a, a, a very advanced midfield player, Ray Wilkins, kind of buzzing around the strikers, and and uh, two what would we would call wing backs. You know, I suppose. You know, well, basically, found it very difficult to pick them up. And it and they did. They were used to. And it and it worked like a treat, didn't it, Mark? I mean, we were really, I mean, yeah. we were getting a lot of plaudits, weren't we? For and it, it was the start of the football. season. Yeah, you know, Jonathan's made reference to wing backs. Yeah, you also had Graham Wilkins and Gary Locke bombing down the the wings as well. It wasn't uncommon to see Gary Locke further up the pitch than the Ian Britton. Yeah, and I think that was another key part of yeah that season is like Ray played every game, but Gary Locke played every game as well, and you know he played a key key part in that season. But again, that was there was a sign. You talk about that Arsenal game. We went into that game on a good run and, and confident. Arsenal had like two defeats before that cup game. I think they'd had a hammering at Filbert Street by, by Leicester City 4-1. And Eddie McCready had basically said before the game, you know, you know, between 1960 and 1970, we won eight out of 10 games at Highbury. And I should know, he said, I played in them. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually went out to Highbury to attack. And I, I, I was there that night. It was just horrible. Like that tackle by Sammy Nelson on Brian Basson was a dreadful tackle. Never got booked for it. Never got booked. You know. And then later, you made reference to it. He then fouled Gary Locke with 10 minutes to go, and Gary Locke had to go off. So we paid most part of the last 10 minutes with 10 men. And it was a, it was a niggly game that night. So despite Ray Wilkins having the flair and pushing forward, that was a scrappy London derby. There was pushing, there was shoving, there was flying tackles, lots of off the ball incidents, lots of booking. It was yeah. a proper London Cup mm. tie. And I think I think we were unlucky to lose to Arsenal that night. I think we played really well. Interesting stuff. Um, we picked ourselves up again, uh, and uh, a, a big test, of course, was the away match. Uh, up at Trent Bridge, uh, you know, against Nottingham Forest, Cluffs, Nottingham Forest. I'm always intrigued by our our, our matches with Forest uh, around this era because, of course, a couple of years later, Forest go on and win the league and, and then the European Cup. And we all know about Brian Clough and that team. Uh, the thing that intrigues me about this, I, I don't know, put your hands up if either of you were there. The forest game. No, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, neither of you were there. The city ground. Sorry. You said, yeah. The yeah, city you know. ground. I Neil meant the city. Neil Smith ground. has told me all about that day. Well. Yeah. Okay. This is what I wanted to ask. Yeah. Just raise your hand as to, as to who wants to answer it. Now it was one-one. Brian Clough was very impressed. Said Chelsea were a superb team, but actually there was a lot of uh, a lot of supporters got on the pitch. Now I've always been told, certainly by Psycho Phil amongst a few other friends, probably Smithy is one of them, that this is the occasion where. Uh, there was quite a big off with the Forest and the Chelsea fans, and a lot of Forest fans ended up in the River Trent. Is this the match, Mark, or have I got this mixed up no, with another one? That, that's what I'd heard, because it was a tradition okay. you know, that Forest <laughs> used to say they'd throw you in the Trent. Uh, and on this particular day, um, the, the home end at Forest that day was not infiltrated by Chelsea fans. It was all Chelsea fans. <laughs> you know, so Forest had to relocate their home end to another part of the ground. Because it was just full of, you know, well, it was organised, I don't know. And that's what Neil Smith told me. And also after the game, instead of Chelsea fans being thrown in the trend, I think a few Forest fans end up there. 
Brilliant. I, I had a feeling it was that one. Uh, now, the next big test uh, was against Wolves. We basically duked it out with Wolves, who had also got relegated quite recently, I think, and we're a decent side. John Will, uh, John Richards always seemed to score against us, but we play Wolves at the bridge, uh, I think it was in December, early December, uh, and already this is kind of, you know, top versus second match, big, big match, no pun intended, because it, it was on the big match. Um, it finishes 3-0. We come back from behind, actually. We were 3-1 behind at one stage. Of course, John Richards scored. I think he scored two and Bobby Gould. But that's not the thing that drew, drew my attention. Um, I suspect, given that you were probably in the East Stand, Jonathan, were you aware of the presence of Dr. Henry Kissinger and his Secret Service men? Yes, indeed. I thought you might have been. Indeed, we all were. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of pointing went on. Isn't that Henry Kissinger down there? Oh, isn't that? Yeah, you know. But it was. I think it was the fact he was surrounded by a large, rather large number of uh, of bodyguards that made it pretty obvious. You kept standing up. Um, incidents taking any incident. I'm not sure they knew what an incident was. But what happened if- when someone shouted "shoot"? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was that would have been a goodie, but um, uh, yeah. But uh, it was because I was in the as um, I was in the East Stand Upper, but I was actually almost on the halfway line. So they were all down. You could see them below. He was practically in the front row, wasn't he? All the pictures mm. that were taken of him up there. But um, he, yes, he must. Have, I thought he'd have come away from there being a being a football fan uh, after three three. But he probably was anyway because he was German, wasn't he? So he'd probably uh, he'd probably been watching football for most of his youth. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was just wondering if he was there in case you know a big ruck happened and he was there to kind of you know to discuss mitigate. a peace negotiation or yeah, something. Any kind of peace they could have used them Can after you... the game. There was trouble at there was trouble at Notting Hill Gate Station after that game. Really? Sure that, that's the way Henry went home. Yeah. Mm, interesting stuff. It was a it was a big match though, and we did all right. I mean, we basically finished the year uh, top place in the league, which is good. Um, we had a very happy New Year as we thumped. Uh, Hereford 5-1 uh, and uh, uh, Ray Wilkins scores that amazing chip which I, I'm sure you both both remember very very well uh, and then we're into the new year and, and, and again you know the league form continues apace we're still doing very very well uh, the only blip on in the new year really uh, because of course this is the thing that staggers me actually and it's really interesting to you know uh, reacquaint oneself uh, with these old seasons and not not least uh, you know, checking out the uh, the attendances uh, and all of that kind of thing, and you suddenly realise just how how big and important the FA Cup was still in the seventies. Unlike it is now, where people tend to long it off. In those days, it was it was just massive, absolutely massive. And of course, we're still in the same league as uh, Southampton. So, we, uh, although they were the FA Cup holders at the time, so we would have we would have expected us we would have expected to win. Let's be honest. Uh, and uh, and unfortunately, it doesn't turn out like that, does it, Jonathan? Um, I have no recollection at all of this match. Well, we drew we drew one all with them uh, in the you know at home. In, in this is the third round of the FA Cup, yeah, so yeah, f- yeah, first round yeah, proper. Yeah. And they and then 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 we have to go down to the Dell and play them in a replay. Um, and unfortunately, it's 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 we lose three nil. Which was a bit of a blow. Did did, did Aussie in score? extra time? Did Aussie score? Chich, I can't remember. No, uh, Ted McDougall. Uh, it was basically, Callier. yeah, it was nil nil uh, for for ninety minutes, and then uh, in extra time, McDougall scored, Shannon scored, and David Peach scored a penalty. This was uh, Aussie was playing. They were aware where, in fact, it was a an enormous money spinner, but there was still that feeling about the FA Cup that somehow 
it was a, a, a more special trophy than actually winning the uh, the first the league title, yeah. which um, I, I've never quite understood why that happened. But um, uh, that was the kind of magic of it. I remember the the uh, even Stanley Matthews saying this was the greatest trophy ever to win, and you thought, well, surely winning the league would have been up there. But no, it was it had a it had a magic. Um, I think because of the uncertainty of it. Uh, I don't know, it just was in the psyche at the time. Yes, yeah, so it was a big blow. Um, but uh, I, no, I've expunged that one completely. That's gone. I, Sadly, I, I, remember, I remember it well, Chidge. Ah. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, t- several things I remember about it. First, it was a 42,000 crowd there that night. Absolutely huge crowd. Yeah, you know, when you think an FA Cup was that because replay. of Aussie? Because that of Aussie? Do you think? Uh, I, 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 I think it was a momentum as well because we got a draw um, at Southampton, so that was a good result. We brought them back to the bridge, and I think Chelsea fans always have loved the FA Cup and the Osgood factor. The fact we had a home replay, we were playing more than forty-two thousand there. Like I went go, go back there at the Southampton that night, the Fulham game throughout the evening. And the other thing I remember about it, um, there was a gentleman called Ronald Markham, Romark. Romark the magician, and he predicted in the third round um, what had happened to Chelsea is what happened to Crystal Palace the previous season. And he put a curse on Crystal Palace after they got to the last stage, and he put a curse on Chelsea. And he said Southampton would knock Chelsea out of the FA Cup and Chelsea would fail to get promotion. So he got one right, he didn't get the other one right, quite, <laughs> quite fortunately. And well, again, if you yeah. Google Ronald Markham, you'll find it, you know, if you could see into the future, he wouldn't have crashed that car of his into the back of a police van and get arrested. But that's <laughs> <laughs> he was a psychic, that's what I remember. Um, Jim McCallio called it right. He said before the game that Southampton would win an extra time, you know, because we were a young side, they were a lot more experienced, and he was proved right. We just ran out of steam. But over the 90 minutes, we were much better than Southampton at the bridge that night. We were really unlucky. It was really disappointing to get knocked out. Yeah, I bet it was. Um, I mean, you know, the other interesting things that occurred to me around this time was uh, just just three three things that I'll hit you with. One was uh, they increased the tickets uh, from 50p up to a pound, which made me hoop with laughter. Only a pound, Chelsea tickets. Uh, yeah, the other thing, of course, a pound in that era, Chidge, you could. Must well, a double, double in you, you know increase, isn't it? Yeah, but for a pound, you could give a slap up meal in Soho. You could, you could spend the night with the the. Not a money in those days. Or of your choice, you could then go to the Ritz and uh, and um, you know dance the night away and come have back tea in a handsome cab for a quid. Bloody hell, Chidge, quid. So there's a lot of money in those days. So they hiked the prices up, um, which basically I would imagine would have been seen as capitalising on the fact that we were getting very good attendances by now. They were way back up again. The, but the other thing is watching a lot of these, what, what, watching a lot of these um, old clips on YouTube today, as I was, the the pitch, unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was shocking. Everybody. It, it was shocking for everybody, Chidge. It, the ball but ours seemed particularly con- bad. Constantly being, you know, put pressing forward and it gets stuck and you'd have to, and it would give an opportunity for some hairy-ass defender to leap in because the ball had got stuck. And you'd, get, you'd see people leaping out of the way or trying to give as much back as they were about to receive from the defender. I mean, it's, it's no surprise that people got, got there were huge thwacking in, in injuries all the time or tackles because the ball was always being stuck in that in that kind of in in winter when it was raining a lot yeah the, nowadays it would never have been tolerated and the, the the pitch would have been it had been called off by the referee i just wanted to make a point about the the 
the huge numbers of people attending the games, yet the, I, I remember watching and thinking it's a complete from from my eerie up at the uh, up, up in the, the uh, top of the East Stand was how it looked sold out, and then you discover only forty three thousand had been, and there was a theory at the time that there were huge turnstile cons going on and that people were people were pocketing the money that was a constant amongst the supporters and say you know bloody hell surely tonight it's look it's fifty-two thousand. surely there isn't a single gap anyway it came back with and the a guy would make the announcement at the end at the end forty thousand. you go what no but it's impossible it's full it's completely full and the chelsea stadium counter later moved to arsenal <laughs> but the, the, the trouble was, I, I think it backfired. Um, they had a guy called um, Martin Spencer, who That's Brian right. Mears had brought in from Stoy Hayward to help with the club's sort of debt. And um, Martin Spencer announced that price increase in the Orient programme. And, and it wasn't just ground admission. Uh, you know, juveniles went up every West End, East End. You know, you know, because Chelsea had an unusual pricing system then, whereby if you sit in the East End now, you've got upper, lower... You know, and middle, it's one price for each stand. Then you had centre, you know, front wings, rear centre, rear wings. It was like going to the theatre. You had, you had different, you had different prices. And did they wear binoculars, Mark? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Probably some did with our with our support back then. Oh, yeah, we did attract some beautiful people. Um, but yeah, the gates after suffered. Yeah, and I don't know whether that was a combination of the price increase and also we talked about the pitch because the pitch problems. You know, they went back before Christmas. Um, and what George Anstis, um, I think the groundsman at the time, said was in November, there was a lot of games we played and we used the game, uh, the pitch for Ian Hutchinson's testimonial. And in those days when FA Cup went to third replays, Brighton and Crystal Palace played a rather muddy, wet replay in November that by the time we played that Wolves game we talked about earlier, you know, the pitch was just covered in sand and it never recovered from that point in. The Southampton game, it rained. It was just muddy. But the Orient game was the worst of the lot. I've never seen a game like that Orient game until we played Norwich City in the 80s. That Orient game should never have been played. You know, Eddie McCready wanted the game called off. Yeah, he just said it was a farce. The referee refused to call the game off. The referee said at the time, the conditions deteriorated after the start. And if I'd called it off, I would have been laughed at. Oh, Dominic Cummings of referees. It was perfectly good when the match began. No, it wasn't. You know, the ball just got stuck in the mud. It didn't move that day. If you look back on your programmes, you see the two teams coming off at the end of the game. It's just mud everywhere. And there's a brilliant picture in the archives of George Anstis um, and Eddie McCready. And they are just surrounded by mud. You know, it's just, you know, just ridiculous. And there was um, a fan... And I mentioned him because we talked about Chelsea Independent. He used to write regularly in the letters page Chelsea, but called Kevin Ryan. Kevin wrote into the club programme. And he just basically said, this is, this is a farce. You know, uh, th- these, these are excuses of pitches that you're expecting the team to play on. And, and we were a good football side. We were a passing side. And the ball just got bogged down in the, in the mud. And good old Kevin back then in 1977 suggested, you know, midwinter breaks and teams playing on artificial grass pitches. You know, he had, he had a lot of foresight, you know, did Kevin bless him. The other thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about the Wolves game, um, yeah, very tardy of me, it was the advert for the Dan's new row single in the Wolves oh. programme. 
the first ever punk single. Like, you know, Chelsea yeah. were ahead of the game having punks in their programmes. And punks in the stands as and well. And punks in the stands. Indeed. Kings Road and all that yeah. is where it was all, where it was all hanging out. Um, we're going to go to a break. Uh, for a couple of things before we do. Uh, the lovely I Saw Alan May's score. Uh, by the way, uh, mate, I should tell you that I, I showed the CFC UK WhatsApp group the wonderful T-shirt that you gave me with your Dar Saw Alan May score. And Kelvin Barker wet his pants with with envy about that, and uh, he's in the market for one. You could probably do a good line flogging him to the CFC UK bunch in there. Am I right, Mark? Yeah. Oh, uh, what a brilliant t-shirt! No, definitely. <laughs> if, if you got that made up, he would shift a load of those. I know a number of people that buy that t-shirt. It's well, a brilliant t-shirt. Full credit to you. We'll put you in touch with Marco. Maybe you can get a line of them going when we ever do get back. And actually, on that point, he says uh, that he was right. Of course, I'm sorry. I, I, got, I got the wrong specs on. That's my Dom- Dominic Cummings excuse for getting the uh, Southampton matches the wrong, wrong way around. He says, other way around, should we drew at the Dell. Exactly. The replay was at the bridge. Mickey Droy got fined for making the wanker sign at Ted McDougall. How about that? Knowledge. Uh, now, um, talking of knowledge um, and, and the old days, uh, the Chelsea special, of course, this series of podcasts I've, I've done, or series of interviews, really, I've done with Martin King and lots and lots of other players, some of them from this era, is really, really well worth a listen. Uh, we've done them with Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumpson, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, Canners, and even Danny Eccles Harkins. So there we go. Now, if you want to download them, very easy. Go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, they cost £2.99 each to download because we've shelled out a, quite a lot of money to get them all made, paying the players and all that kind of thing. So there you go. Go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and then click on Buy Single Episode Now when you scroll down and find the ones you want. And then you can download it and listen. They're great fun. Chelseaspecial.com is the website and at Chelsea underscore special is the Twitter handle and it's also on Facebook. Right, after the break, we're going to be carrying on with the final furlong of the 1976-77 season. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. (laughs) It's all too much. (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jij? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stanford Chidge and uh, I've got with me, as ever, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Whoop! And uh, also the incredibly erudite. And it's just it's absolutely, it's a real privilege just listening to, to Mark Meehan who wrote this fantastic book about Eddie Mack and you know, his knowledge is uh, encyclopedic, so great without to have you peer, on the show, Mark. Without peer, we can... Peerless, speak. mate. Indeed, indeed, that's P-E... Why use two words when one can do, mate? Yes, yes. Indeed. Uh, great to have Mark on the show, uh, and uh, we're kind of halfway through our, our dissection of the 1976-77 season, and uh, we're kind of really entering into the final furlong here. Chelsea are, you know, still pretty much top of the league, Um and uh, but we have some tough fixtures to come. But before we get into that, around this time, uh, some very sad news happened, didn't it, Mark? When uh, Peter Hausman, who I've kind of newly uh, found an admiration for through through doing these shows recently and seeing a lot of the footage from the time, I suddenly realised actually what a good player he was. But by this time, he, he'd left the club and he had been playing for Oxford. And of course, he he dies tragically in uh, a road accident. Well, I, I hesitate to call it accident, considering. It was, you know, basically some posh bloke and his Maserati ploughed into Peter Hausman's car. But if you want to pick up the story, Mark. Yeah, really tragic. Peter Hausman, we talked about him on last week's show, only 31 years of age. He was coming back from a fundraising evening, you know, with his wife, Sally, and two close family friends, Alan and Janice Gillam. Yeah, and, you know, a speeding Maserati, you know, driven by the son of a, a Conservative MP, you know, crashed into the car. Six children were orphaned. Uh, as a result of that, you know, and the, the the car driver, you know, found guilty of four charges of causing death by dangerous driving and drink-related charges, but never spent a day in prison. So, you know, justice wasn't served there. Um, so really sad. But I think what was remarkable is how Chelsea responded. You know, we talked last week how Chelsea had been good in this crisis. You know, almost straight away, the funeral was like on the 25th of March. And I think the whole of the first team squad and former players attended the funeral. And then the following week, they held a benefit match for the Houseman children and the Gillam children. And nearly 17,000 spectators turned up at Stamford Bridge. And, and I was at the game that night and it was a um, the current Chelsea side against an old Chelsea side. And Eddie McCready, um, although he walked out with his current side, he then played you know, for the old boys against his side. And all the money raised, you know, went to that family. And there was an unusual thing on the night because George Best was meant to play in that game. And I don't know what happened with George, you know, but he didn't turn up. And at the last minute, um, I don't know why, but for some strange reason, maybe he was available. Alan Ball played in the game. So Alan Ball, you know, wore Houseman's number 11 shirt. And I think a few old school Chelsea thought probably, you know, if someone was going to wear the, the, the number 11 shirt was Alan Ball, probably the be- best person to do that. Yeah. So yeah, very sad occasion. And I think, I think soon after Chelsea also played Arsenal, won 
Saturday morning when we had a free weekend and again all the money then you know raised at that game also you know went went to both families and there was an unusual thing at the same time and it's a name familiar to most Chelsea fans we played Blackburn in I think the following home game and there was a lovely letters page inside the programme and Chelsea fans you know eulogised about what a wonderful person a wonderful player Peter Houseman was and there was a beautiful letter and if you've got your 76-7 programme collection at home and I imagine many of you do and (laughs) I have mine here tonight. Uh, if you go into the letters page there, there's a gentleman called Neil Barnett. No way. Yeah, <laughs> kid you not. Yeah, and Neil loves his writes. You know, loves his Chelsea, but he writes this beautiful letter. You know, real tribute to Peter Houseman. Now, you know, I think it is one in the same Neil Barnett. Yeah, it's got to be. We talked talk last week offline. We there was a letter in from a David Ike. I mean, we wasn't sure who was that David Ike, but who knows? It might have been. But I think that was um, the Neil Barnett we know and love so well. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Mark. I think it, you know it needed to be needed to be said. As I said, I've I've, I've recently got a, a whole uh, you know different perspective on uh, on Peter Hausman, having been watching some of these old clips. Now, as I said, we're, we're beginning to get into the business end of the season. Uh, we're still riding high in the in the league, you know, top of the league, having a laugh, la di da di da. Um, but there are some concerns. Uh, we we lost three one away to Fulham, but we also lost four nil. Uh, to Charlton on April the 11th Uh, and it it looks like uh, Chelsea are beginning to wobble I mean the other thing that caught my eye about this Mark was the fact that um, well you can you can enlighten me on this but that you know basically Chelsea fans were were setting fire to the valley (laughs) because they were rather disgruntled about being beaten 4-0 is this true it is it is true Um, I was at (laughs) I was at the valley that night I'll I'll tell you yeah we, we did have a bit of waddle but what what I should also say you know, in those days at Easter, you played three games. So we yeah. lost to Fulham on the Friday. But on the Saturday, we had a bounce back and we beat Luton 2 0. And that was, we're going to talk Forest later, but that was a massive win for us because Luton were in the thick of the promotion race. Yeah, so we beat them 2 0. So we thought we were back on track. And again, yeah, if you can find it on video, there's an absolutely brilliant goal by John Sparrow in that game. Uh, and the Sunday papers the next day said Sparrow's arrow. And I just love, love that headline. Brilliant headline. So we went into the Monday game, Charlton, full of confidence. Uh, and as was the way, we talked about the Nottingham Forest game earlier. So I was at the Valley that night and I was in the away fans end. And if ever anyone had been to the Old Valley, absolutely massive old stadium, used to take 80,000. So I was in the away end, but soon realised, I think most other people did as well, that most of the Chelsea fans had relocated to the home end. So a quick climb <laughs> over a fence. And I think most Chelsea fans ended up in the home end. But Charlton that night, you know, absolutely destroyed us. I think Mike Flanagan got a hat-trick. And it was a bit cold that night, and I, I don't know why, but in the second half, like Jonathan said at the start about Orient, sometimes people ran on the pitch. Um, so instead of running on the pitch, they decided to set fire to everything surrounding the pitch. You know, so the fires started up on the away terracing. You know, people set fires to programmes, newspapers, wood. And yeah, there, there was a serious fire on the terraces and then came outside after the game. Uh, and just Chelsea fans, you know, went on the, the rampage. You know, they kicked in the turnstiles. They broke every window. You know, and there was there was a supporters club behind the away end at the Valley. They broke every window in there, and even all the way down to Charlton Station. You know, the houses, windows. It was absolutely vandalism. You know, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And what my memory of that is, like, um, I was trying to get home, got on the train at Charlton Station, and then they decided to smash the train up and pull the emergency cord. And I just wanted to get home after seeing our team getting spanked 4-0. And we got thrown out. And apologies if you live 
here. I got thrown out of station. I remember to this day called Mays Hill. I was 14 years of age. I had no idea where Mays Hill was in South London. I had no idea how I'd get home. One thing I knew for certain, the police wasn't letting anybody, you know, back you know, on that train or any time soon. So I had to somehow find my way home from Charlton to sort of northwest London about 10 o'clock at night. You know, so, no, I haven't got great memories of that guy. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Do you remember that, Jonathan? Uh, I remember the loss, but uh, I, I, I didn't attend. But the, the situation of being thrown out of trains um, and uh, luckily always having um, two pennies for the uh, for the phone box was always something that I was always made sure that I kept in my pocket. And my dad was very good at if he was about picking me up wherever I was. And uh, and he always seemed to understand. I always say, um, I've fled. There's people being having their... Bit heads kicked in around me and I'm hiding any chance you could meet me somewhere and uh, and he'd go oh, okay I suppose yeah I'll have a go and we'd find a um, uh, a landmark somewhere and he'd pick me up but um, um, no I've now remembered of course I was at the Southampton FA Cup game the loss once again I've just you know the, the pain has hit me um, but uh, and I was at the uh, the Fulham game when we lost 3-1 as well. But the Charlton game, I definitely wasn't at because I don't remember um, uh, that. Well, the same thing, Mark. If we ever, if we were ever any sign of us losing, I knew there'd be trouble and I would, I'm afraid, leave early, which isn't, you know, something I've, I've, I've done at all of, over the last few years. On, but, on, uh, on a kind of related or unrelated point, JK, I mean, yeah. do, do you, you know... I mean, you know, we're, we're nearly, we're at the business end of the season. We've been top for most of it. You know, I would imagine you're both thinking we're going to, we're going to go back up. We must be really excited. And then, then there was a bit of a wobble around this time. Did you, did yeah, you yeah, start the, getting a bit shrink- Yeah, completely. Yeah. Completely. But also, you be, you know, you've been watching, I've been watching, watching them since I was, you know, little, since I'm bloody old four. I don't remember any of it, you know, but nonetheless, the, 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 the horrors of having, Doherty um, decide that because they'd all been out to a night in Blackpool that he wouldn't bother to pick any of the first team and them losing. It, it Nothing was, to me, having a having the season fall apart, having Osgood not bothering or having players just games they should have won, it, it you know, it enters into your soul after a bit and you just think, yeah, that they may very well blow this. Yeah, mm. because also particularly because it was 4-0. But I think as... as Mark said in the book, with Eddie's interview, is that he 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 decided he thought they were they got tired. He thought they'd got knackered at this stage of the season. And so, well, he, well, he, so he attempts. Then he brings Charlie Crook in. That's right, masterstroke. Yeah, absolutely. But the the clear thing that comes out of this season is that McCready is a deep thinker yes. about the game, yes, yes. as lots of his Scots contemporaries have been all over the the since the formation of the game. There was a period where Scots were the best the best uh, tacticians and people came from all over Europe to discuss how... Well, Shankly, Steen, Busby, Ferguson. Yeah, but even though, but going even further back, Chidge, into the 30s and even... Called early, ahead. And, and then earlier than that, there were trainers that were um, that were just completely ahead of their time who were from Scotland. They Somehow they had a view of how to play, passing games when people were scrumming, just um, playing different... playing people out of position, changing the setup to confuse people. So he was clearly a great, great thinker, which in fact brings into perspective the what happens at the end of the season, uh, the horrors 
of what happened between him and the yeah, board, well, we, which we will get we'll, on to. We will the get time. In the meantime, the master stroke is he he brings Charlie Cook in, who he hasn't who hasn't played at all. And uh, Cook is absolutely brilliant and slows the game down because he feels that they're, they're really running out of steam. And he's watching it and just trying to find a way of dealing with it, which is the kind of thing that Hiddink used to do, of course. I think I love the way that Hiddink dealt with uh, Barcelona by playing Essien at right back to stop um, uh, Roberto Carlos from marauding down the left wing, which he thought he couldn't deal with. That kind of thing that a manager thinks of to do. And also the, the knowledge when we had from, from your bookmark where they're saying that he he would have the the scout the guy that he employed whose name escapes me i can't remember who was that mark and the eddie bailey eddie, yeah yeah to actually give him a uh, um an idea of how the opposition lined up for free kicks corners and everything was so ahead of its time and my 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 despair of all of this is i really think that this was a period where english clubs were really ahead of the rest of europe as it will be proven by Forest and Liverpool winning everything. And if we'd managed to have a kind of, of um, I don't know, just, just level-headed approach to stuff, in getting rid of the team that we had before, which was absolutely brilliant. I mean, let's not, let's not, let's not, um, uh, um, there aren't enough superlatives to describe. The, the team that he assembled, that Sexton had assembled with Hudson and Webb and, uh, and Osgood and uh, the team that won the European Cup Winners' Cup was... I think would have won the European Championship in the following if they kept them together or just approached it from a, a slightly different view, which wasn't the stand. If they hadn't built the stand, they'd have ended up, they'd have done what Forrest did and what Liverpool did because the players were outstanding. I can't tell you the difference between between the, the, the genius of some of those players and some of those games was absolutely wonderful. So to actually suddenly see a side that a side of youth getting better and better with a man clearly the top of his game as McCready, as is proven by this really simple thing of bringing in a man of great experience in Cook, who then runs it, slows it down, and he plays a. Uh, he's still got the two centre forwards, and they then have a much easier run in towards the end, and they get promotion when there was a possibility of them dipping. Was uh, beautifully revealing in Mark's book because I had no idea. I know I'm just attending the games going, why are they why are they all falling apart? Why is it happening? Then to have this piece of genius, which you don't aren't really aware of, you go, Daddy Eddie's brought Cook back in. Why? And Cook slows it down, runs it, bosses the game, and they get promoted. Well I, th I thought I thought it was brilliant. And <laughs> and I mean what was also fantastic, Mark, it wasn't just uh bringing in Charlie Cook to kind of play the quarterback role or slow it down. He brought him in for Gary Stanley. So he kind of had him per se on the on on the wing, but uh, he kept Ray Lewington in, which was vital, so that we had some beef in midfield. But he also he also um, rested Kenny Swain, who of course had had a brilliant season up till then as a superb player. And he brings in a very young, kind of eight seventeen eighteen year old Tommy Langley. But it it, it works uh, to a treat, doesn't it? Because the next game is against Forest. This is the sixteenth of April. Uh, and Forrest are there or thereabouts in the in the race for the for the you know the promotion spots. Uh, so yeah, I mean, really, really key game against Forrest, and that was the first time he tries, you know, you know, with Charlie Cook and Tommy Langley in the team, and it works a treat, J.K. And we they, win they take two the one. Lead, though, don't they, with through Martin O'Neill? What's astonishing about the Forrest side is nearly all of them are the same team that won the won the European Cup in, in two years' time. If you look at them, I know. I mean, remarkable. just. just just, just read out. I mean, basically, I'll read out the the squad that won the Euro, you know the players that pl we played against that night or that day. 
that ended up going on to win the uh, the European Cup and the league, of course, and everything else. Anderson, Frank Clark, Larry Lloyd, Ian Bowyer, John McGovern, Martin O'Neill, Peter With, Tony Woodcock, Johnny Robertson. So basically all but two of that side went on and won the European Cup. Yeah. Frightening, isn't it? So anyway, I think I th- my, my point really is, JK, is that winning that match was absolutely fundamental to us. I mean, I know I know that the the next kind of really, really key match is the one against Wolves, where uh, we need a point to go up uh, away. And it's a, it's, it's a very, very tricky match uh, in terms of the run-in. And people say, well, obviously, obviously, you know, we did get promoted the, that, that day because we, we drew 1-1. But I think it's that Forest match that that was really, really key. Because we then go on, we draw we draw 0-0 with Oldham well, and we lose 1-0 third, to Burnley. Forest finished third. So if they... They did. Uh, they did. If they... They did. Uh, uh, if they'd won, they'd have been above us, and then we then drew against Oldham after that. Okay, yep. uh, we then we then lost to Burnley, so we were on a bit of a dip. But then, luckily, the last three games it was a, a huge win against Sheffield United. Uh, so, so, so we the momentum was main was 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 regained after at the end of that. So, what what do you? I mean, were you there on yeah, on, on the day? I, I have to say, in the same way that Luton game I mentioned, that Forest game was so important. Forest, you know. One of six teams were in the promotion race for most of the season, but they were always in the latter part, sixth or seventh. And they had a late rush and they were in third place by the time they played us. And if they'd beaten us, yeah, I think they might have gone ahead of us on sort of, you know, goal scored. And yeah, they had a better goal difference. So really, really important game. Yeah. And they were a good side. Yeah. And I think we were a bit lucky to win that day. And, you know, we won with a very late winner from Jock Finiston. I think he scored it a few minutes ago. That might have had. A little shade of offside to it, but hey, what what the hell? But that was so important because that put us a little bit of distance between us and Forest, yeah, you know, by four points, and that would prove really crucial, yeah, at the end of the season. I think the other thing about the Forest game is, yeah, you know, we saw an early sort of cluffism, yeah, you because know, obviously all the press after the game, yeah, you know, they wanted to talk about was yeah, was Jock Finiston's goal offside, and Cluffy says, how the hell can I tell if their winner was offside? You know, I couldn't see from where I was sitting. I'm sitting in one of the worst dugouts in the country. Although I expect the directors were all sitting in nice, comfortable vantage points. Can't they get this thing tiled on the rates when he talked about the dressing room, which he described as a pig hole? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this was the new East Stand. Yeah, and brilliant. Now, um, obviously, the, the the key match, the really the really crucial match, the match that gets us promotion effectively, is going away to Wolves. We we need a point to get promotion. They need a point to win the title. But the interesting thing about this, of course, is that... Uh, uh, well, here's the question for you, Mark. I mean, there have been several occasions from what I can figure out about the the whole concept of you can't ban a Chelsea fan. I know that there was one that was famous in the 80s, but I think this is perhaps the first example of it because they made the match all ticket, didn't they? We were, we were banned after the misbehaviour at the Charlton game. Yeah, you know, the, oh. uh, the sports minister, I think, was it Dennis Howell? You know, Probably. You know, put, a, put a ban on us. So, yeah, so this game was all ticket and no tickets made available to Chelsea fans. How many of us were there? I think it was about 8,000. Yeah, I think yeah. even <laughs> the entrepreneurs that were British Rail at the time, because there was no club travel, no nothing, even though the club you know, did their own form of travel. I think British Rail decided on the morning of the game to run special trains to Wolverhampton because they, they could see the... Um, Financial opportunity, yeah. Brilliant. 
Brilliant. So you were there, clearly. No, I wasn't actually. No, I never made it. Cool. No. Yeah. Because obviously we were a band, and obviously 14 years of age. Yeah, that's probably one of my regrets in Chelsea, not going to Wolves in 77. So not old enough to go in pubs and 80 pence tickets were changing hands in the pub at £2 beforehand. Yeah. And weirdly, I had a ticket because they gave tickets to season ticket holders because we were considered uh, not the kind of person who would be running on the pitch or causing a problem. And so, they did run uh, on the pitch at the end. With they the did. Fans. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But you were you there, JK? No, I've got the I had a ticket that didn't go. You are such a lemon, mate. <laughs> You've let the side down, mate. I, don't, I have. I have. I, I, I think there was a reason. I think I was in. Uh, I think I was in a show um, at uh, at university. I think I think I went and did. I did a telly actually at the end of the season. I think I got into a got a professional engagement round about May at that period. So uh, I remember my very first acting job. I think. Well, no, I'd done a film when I was little. But no, uh, uh, anyway, I didn't go. I, did, I had a ticket. I didn't go. My dad didn't want to go, so he didn't go. Well, there you go. Uh, Tommy Langley, who, of course, had been brought in by uh, Eddie McCready in place of Kenny Swain, uh, scores again. Uh, Wolves equalised. I think it was John Richards. It nearly always was. Um, but uh, basically, it petered out to a 1-1 draw, which kept... It was John Richards. Kept both sides happy. Wolves win the title. We go up, definitely. And it all... Boils down to a kind of a, you know, a bit of a, a kind of a, I don't know, really, a party time, I suppose. Chelsea against Hull, last match of the season, uh, 14th of May, 1977. Um, and this is where you can bring in your rant about running on the pitch again, Jonathan. I watched the highlights of it again today, and Brian Moore was apoplectic with rage about how disgraceful Chelsea were. The interesting thing is, is that Brian Mears immediately after decides to fence everybody in as a result and 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 another thing and another i feel like wagging my finger here and another thing he increases the juvenile prices to one pound as well yeah. so there you go so what, what did you think of it mate because there were a lot of boos there were lots of off off I'm off, afraid off I was going one on of the people who said off 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 because uh, i was there and um uh, and we were convinced the referee was going to abandon the game because it was just so ridiculous. It, they 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 ran on the field towards the end of the game um, when a goal was scored uh, to make it was it to make it three nils before before the, the there was a penalty at the end and um, uh, and they seemed to th- the fans seemed to think that every goal could be celebrated by um, as if it was the final whistle, which of course and once again it was that thing of everybody going oh everybody else is running on the pitch let's run on the pitch. There was no hooliganism involved. It was just let's get on the pitch, you know. Yeah. It was. It was. That's what you did, you know. It just. Uh, yeah. And. Um, but, I mean, Ed, Eddie had to come on the pitch, didn't he, Mark? He made, he uh, made an. He yeah. made an announcement that I had to say I found completely incomprehensible at the time. But nobody. We all just said, "What did he say?" I remember. We know what they'd say now if he did that. They go, "Speak fucking English." Why would, don't you speak? Would, <laughs> but uh, it was very. What, what, one of the YouTube clips you gave us was uh, reference to was the the Hull City. And I've, I'm bemused as to why the Big Mac did it, because it was a meaningless game. But um, whether they expected there to be trouble, and that's why they did it, and they were looking for that kind of thing. But they did an, uh, uh, they did a, um, an expose of what went on in the dressing room beforehand, and uh, with, with McCready giving a team talk, which was fascinating, except most of it was him going, eh, well, you don't need to back. You understand? And uh, he kept saying, Do Dear Ken! And I kept thinking, it's because the players don't understand. He's having to say this all the time. You know, it's such a thick Scots accent. But it was it was so apparent that it was actually very revealing. It was, it was a very good uh, 
if anybody listening, you should you should try and have a look at it on YouTube because it it's um uh, he's he's got all the you know what's going on with with other players all the time. He's he, with that opposition. He's he's analysing and scrutinising what the other other teams do, which apparently is not what Clough ever was supposed to have done. He always just said, "Well, I get my team prepared and I tell them to go out and play." Which I think give it give it to that fat bloke on the wing, young man. I can tell you. I can man. tell you what Eddie did actually say. He said, "Don't spoil the season for the players of both teams. Do us a favour." And let the game finish. Oh, that would be good. We were all. I remember the time all of us saying to each other, "What did he? What did he say?" And that we've got the gist was he was saying, "Could you stop doing it, please?" Because the referee's going to abandon the game. I I, I have to plead guilty on this. I I ran on the pitch on all three occasions. (laughs) I would have done as well. I was in the top tier. tier. But we were. But we. It was at the second time. I remember saying, "I'm afraid I. I chanted off, off. I get off. I thought it was a bit more violent. I said, "Fucking get off." Going to abandon the game. Get off. Bloody hell. What's the matter with you? The best um, pitch invasion, though, and I don't think it's picked up in any TV coverage. Um, when the second half started, this skinhead, if I remember this right, he ran on the pitch at the start of the second half as the teams were coming out with a bunch of flowers. It could have been before the game for Ray Wilkins. You know, and he got down at Ray Wilkins' feet. It's like kissing Ray Wilkins' feet with this bunch of flowers. And it was, it was either before I, I remember, I remember that. You know, just really weird thing to do, like a skinhead with a bunch of flowers as well. Yeah, and it was Brilliant. another crowd. It was, we had forty-three thousand that day, seven hundred. Now I thought there was more in yeah, the ground. Perfect. Yeah. Completely. The fifty, the fifty-five thousand we had against four. It was about sixty-five thousand crabs. There was, was sixty thousand because, like, you know, we actually when the bloke one of you, one of you, one of you shouted out forty-three thousand again. We all went, "What?" Everybody went, "What?" What's going on? Corruption! I got a Stamford Bridge at half one that day, and I was already locked out of the shed. Yeah, yeah. The Fulham game. I went in the shed at ten to three for fifty-five thousand. That had to be sixty thousand at that whole game. Yeah. 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 Absolutely, Easily. absolutely amazing. Well, the high, the highest uh, attendance all season was fifty-five. So, yeah, it's the, remarkable. The, the, isn't it? the, the, the dodgy turnstile bloke wasn't there that that night. Yeah. Anyway, we win four uh, nil. They're on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. Well done, Chelsea. Now let's have a kind of a bit of a wrap up and a summary of this. Um, Super Jock gets a hat trick, by the way, which takes his goal tally to the of the season to twenty six. Um, that is a proper, proper striker's return. He was a revelation in the season, wasn't he, Mark? Oh, absolutely superb. Super jock. He scores goals, as we said, sang last week. Um, and, you know, I don't know how to sort of describe jock. Cause, you know, he's not your traditional sort of goals, goal scorer. You know, he, he, he just sniffed them out, you know. Um, you know, he'd score with his arse if he could this jock, you know, but he was so crucial to our season. He was as important as Ray Wilkins, that, those 26 goals, you know, and there, there were periods when we needed a goal, you know, yeah, many times during the season, more at the start of the season, you know, Orient, Carlisle, Plymouth, Blackpool, Oldham, Blackburn, Burnley, Blackburn and Forest again. The goal he got was the winning goal. You know, he didn't just score goals. He scored goals that got us the two points, you know, really crucial player, Jock Finiston, and so sad, you know, to see him leave sort of like, you know, 12, 12 months later, Sheffield United. Yeah, I've never understood oh. that. We'll have to get on to that, you know, at the appropriate time, I fear. He never, but, want, he uh, never wanted to leave. No. Yeah, yeah, very weird. Um, there were, I mean, obviously Ray Wilkins, Jonathan gets the huge plaudits. I mean, phenomenal season again, the highest appearance maker, got 10 goals himself. Um, 
but we talk about Ray all the time. And I, and, and I think there are other people that deserve a lot of credit this season. Uh, to, to pick a few out, Ian Britton, 40 appearances, 10 goals, which I think is brilliant. Um, David Hay turned up. He played regularly, 36 games, also scored a couple of goals. Ray Lewington and Gary Locke, I think, also really deserve a massive, massive pat on the back. Again, both chipping in with 47 appearances. But Kenny Swain, 41 appearances, 14 goals. Terrific player. Brilliant, brilliant player. Well, Absolutely brilliant player, Kenny Swain. He's yeah. down as defender right back in this list. of. I know. He's, he wasn't. He was a forward. He played him up front. He scored some yeah. fabulous goals, midfielder. But he was, a, he was, but as was proven, he was a world-class player, Swain. He was a really top, top player. You don't win the yeah. Champions League without being a top player. He really was. No. Top for and, and, and Gary Stanley yeah, as well, and, another and one. If you look at Kenny Stanley outside the game as well, in, I think it was at the last World Cup, uh, um, of that England side that I think played in sort of quarterfinals, I think eight of that side he'd coached, you know, youth level for England. He'd, you know, he'd spotted talent as well. You know. yeah. So not only was he a good footballer, he was a, he was a good footballer. Right, right man, yeah. Yeah, he was well. lovely. I'm, I'm, I met him bizarrely. Um, I was filming uh, some weird charity do uh, up in Birmingham and they had uh, a lot of the old Aston Villa players from the 81, was it 81, wasn't it, when they won the European Cup? And I found, I, I had to go around, you know, interviewing people and I figured out that, that Kenny was on, on the Villa table and, and I, I made a beeline for him, but he's very quietly spoken. He doesn't doesn't really... He's he's a very he's just a very kind of gentle, quietly spoken bloke. So I couldn't really get much out of him. Get, if, if you ever get the chance, talk about music. He's a big rock music fan. Is he really? Oh, he, lo- he, he really? loves he loves his music. Big Led Zeppelin fan as well. He, he told no me when, he was the first player I interviewed, Freddie Mac. First play, first interview I did, and he was telling how him and Clive Walker used to bunk in Earl's Court, you know, to see Led Zeppelin for free back in the seventies. Oh, brilliant stuff. Okay, back to the football. Um, I think the first question is. You know how good was the football, Jonathan? Oh, much. Oh, it, it it got better and better. You know that was the thing. That was you, you could you you knew going to watch the team that they were going to put in a decent performance, which the the last few seasons you hadn't been convinced about. And players who I'd written off suddenly started playing uh, playing better. I was still never never convinced about Graham Wilkins, but um, um, uh, but. Um, he, he played a bit, he, he, and Wicks was occasionally found out of position. Clive Walker was doing his about to to get into the side. He didn't play at all. He was just a sub, wasn't he? Once um, uh, Stanley was uh, was you. All of these players. My opinion was you always you thought how are they going to do in the first division? Uh, let's get behind them because you would do. I think they're going to be great. It was almost as if you never thought they were the finished article. So they would just get better, basically, yeah, because they were yeah, young. Yeah, they were young. Absolutely, absolutely. And you were on their side, but you didn't. You know, it's like um, Lewington. I was a fan of. I liked Lewington because he was. Uh, he, he buzzed about and was hard. You liked Langley because he came in and did his thing. Uh, Hay always confused me because um, I think this was his best season, but I was I was disappointed because he was. Uh, um, you know, he should have turned it on the seasons before, um, and I didn't understand why they'd spent two hundred and fifty thousand on him and not kept. Osgood or or Webb or any of the others, uh, I, I found that very peculiar. Um, but Steve Finiston for me was the uh, the player of the season for for just potential. You really thought we've got another really exciting forward here. 
and mm. uh, uh, I, 26 goals oh, hey. for any anybody any striker in any age uh, is a big tally completely he was he was my favorite player of the season just because he was a goal scorer and he well, no, I like midfield players but and Ronnie Harris did his bit we didn't play much up whole of the season played 17 times and and Charlie came in and was good and Ian Britton buzzed Ian Britton always buzzed and got some bizarre headers I remember he scored headers a lot which considered, yeah. considering he was uh, about five foot six was, was quite a quite a mystery. But he ran. They all ran like like um, like whirling dervishes. They never stopped. It was that was the that was part of it. It was part high of high tempo. The, yeah, huge tempo that he played, and he was clearly a really really top class manager. And um, uh, well, I mean, let, let's move on to that. Um, I've got a I've got a theory which I want to share with you, but. You know, you alluded to it earlier on, Jonathan, um, what a great thinker of the game he was. And I mean, when you read the interview that Mark did in the book, it, it really comes across, well, how much, number one, how much passion he had for the club, how much responsibility he had. That He makes this point again that he kind of came, you know, at the, the worst moment in the club's history and he was determined to, to make it work. But beyond that, um, I think he was clearly a very, very good manager. Um and, you know, I know we'll find out in the, in the forthcoming weeks because we know that he, he doesn't, you know, he, he leaves the club uh, over the summer, which I'll talk to Mark about in a minute. But I wonder, you know, as Jonathan's saying, you know, we've got the nucleus of a team here that, have, you know, really played well as a unit together, playing really good, attractive football. We've got some, I mean, you know, Wilkins is a world-class player, no doubt about that. And I think, we're, you know, the comparison we were making with Forrest, when we beat that team that had nine out of 11 of that team went on to win the league yeah. and the European Cup. And I wonder if Eddie was good enough to have taken this on to the first division the next season and done very well. And I wonder if, if he'd have kept that side together, maybe we'd have bought one or two players. Because let's face it, Clough brought, brought in Shilton, which was fundamental to them winning the league and, and, and the European Cup. But I wonder if we could have competed for the league I mean why couldn't we have done a forest mark with Eddie in charge if you'd have stayed I, I agree we, we will never know you know, we will sad, never know sadly, obviously we will never know sadly but uh, you know that, that man you know and again it might be misty eyed romanticism that man put his heart his soul his guts into Chelsea Football Club you know he, he, he is so significant in our history you know there, there is a lovely story we haven't got time tonight where you know, just before that end part of the season where he sits down with the journalist Peter Blackman, you know, and he has like, you know, a much needed sort of like vodka and coke. And he talks about the pressure of the job and it talks about how selfish he is in his domestic life, you know, and staying up sort of like, you know, 24 hours a day, sometimes until two o'clock in the morning, worrying, you know, you know, will we make it? Will we make it? You know, and he has this say, he just says, you know, he comes back to that thing again. He always thought we would. Because he is, and maybe it's a Scottishism, he's a fighter. He's got guts, you know, and he was absolutely convinced, you know, he'd take this over the line. And he just comes out with this phrase, you know, I've dealt all my cards. There's nothing else I can do now just before that end part of the season. And the story on the pitch, you know, turns out absolutely the right way. But even when, you know, that point you just made there, I asked that of all the guys when I interviewed them for the book, you know, what would have happened, you know, if Eddie had stayed, you know. And a lot of the guys said, you know, you know with one or two player acquisitions, why couldn't a Chelsea have done a Forest? You know, Chelsea were a better side and Forest that season got promoted. And look where Forest ended up. You know, it is tragic what happened. You know, he left soon after. But if he had stayed, you know, Chelsea's history could be even, you know, you know, 
you know, we could have been reliving history rather than making history now. Well, I think I think the thing that the, the point that I'm kind of making actually, Mark, is it's not just about the players here. And I mean, clearly the players on their day were better than that Forest team. But I wonder actually what we never got to see was just how good a manager Eddie McCready really, really was. I mean, I think. I mean, there's something quite Mourinho-esque about it as well. And I mean, I know that Mourinho quite often gets compared to Clough in a way. But for Eddie McCready to come into Chelsea in the shit heap that he found them, get the job and then say, I will get you back into Division 1 in two seasons and then go and do it. Not just do it, do it with a very, very young side and do it with style. I mean... Who knows how good they could have been with Eddie in charge? And I think that's the point I'm making. But, of course, it never happened, did it? No, and, again, the other thing he did, he created, whether it's a spree de corps, camaraderie at that club, that, that, that it lives on to this day. Those players, you often have people pass through football clubs, you know, you know, while they're there, they have a relationship, after it, they move on. That group of players, to this day, you know, keep in contact with, with each other. You know, I said I'd give them a plug tonight, you know, and... The chat with Teddy Maybank today, you know, he keeps in contact with the guys there. They're all, you know, communicate with each other. You know, even to this day, Ray Lewington, Teddy, Tommy Langley, Jock Finneston, Gary Stanley, you know, they all keep in regular contact. He, he built that camaraderie and it remains to this day. You know, I, I am biased. I think he's one of the best managers we've ever had. Yeah. Mm. And it's true. I mean, I mean that that marvelous night. I'm not sure if you were there or not, Jonathan. But when, I was, I when was, Mark, you were there. I was. I have, forgive me. I was. I mean, I had to do that bloody, you know, interview with Cundy on stage talking about the trust. Yeah. So I had to keep keep my shit together. So I only had a couple of pints before the interview, and then the pressure of doing it and having to keep myself together. As soon as I finished that speech or that interview, I I hit the beer hard. So I don't really remember that much <laughs> the rest of the evening. There's a hilarious picture of me which circulated, funnily enough, this week with me and Stretch. And a couple of others clearly looking a bit mad, but and drunk. Um, you saw me at the end and said, "Oh, what are you doing here?" Did I very probably? I, don't, I really don't remember. I don't remember. But what was clear from that night, though, before it became unclear for me, was actually what Mark was saying, Jonathan. And and they love each other, they those do. guys. There was do. a re- you could see the bond you, between yeah, them all, yeah. couldn't you? There was great wit and uh, uh, an appre- appreciation of each other and. And Eddie as well, but Eddie was overwhelmed on that evening. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, bloody hell! And, and, and it was, and it was John, such Jonathan, an emotional evening. He yeah. really transmitted it. Yeah. I think Jonathan yeah, nailed it there. We warned Eddie beforehand in the afternoon what was coming because we thought, you know, he would get a tremendous response. Yeah, and I, I think he was even, and his wife Linda were taken aback at the, the how how the love in that room for him that evening was just absolutely incredible. And when he was talking those those key moments about why he left, you could hear a pin drop in the room that night. Yeah, very incredible. You could. Evening. I mean, I've been to a lot. Of, I'm very very lucky and privileged actually. I've been to a lot of really good Chelsea do's down the years, uh, certainly in recent times. And I have to say that is without doubt the best night, non footballing night, if you see what I mean that I've had at Chelsea, it was just, as you said, Mark, the, the love in the room and the warmth in the room for not just Eddie, particularly Eddie, but also all of those players was just, you had to be there to really feel it. And I think that was really important. And that's a lovely way. Oh, no, one more thing. Unless you don't want to say, because, of course, it's the key thing in the book, the big show and tell, the giveaway. You, you, are you going to tell us why Eddie left? Can, can we talk about that? Buy the, buy the book and find out. <laughs> Okay, well, fair I'll enough. Him, I'll, give, I'll give him a clue. He didn't leave because of the car. Yeah. No, it wasn't the car. Wasn't the car. I tell, I tell you what, I won't, I won't reveal what happened. 
Um, but what I'm will be stum. No, I will be stum. But I, I, it's a shame because I'd love to have debated it because I really, it's so incredulous how they all allowed that situation to happen, given what we've just said. Oh. But I'm not going to spoil it because I, I now urge, if you really, really want to know what happened and form your own conclusion, go and read Mark's book and, and the other boys who wrote it, DJ, Kelvin, Smithy, Mark. It's a, just a fantastic book. And, and Mark, I have to say, brilliantly has done it so much justice for the last two episodes. I have I have enjoyed this so much, Jonathan. I, I, I'm sure you share that view. Oh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Even okay. the pain of reliving so much of this. But this wasn't a painful season. No, this is great. It was a lovely season. This was great. This was, uh, and with the expectation that it would just get better and better. And I'm afraid that Eddie's non non appearance the following season was, uh, I, I want, it's sort of example of them shooting themselves in the foot. You just go, well, uh, we will find out about that next week, won't we? We will. We will. Uh, now I'm going to make an executive decision here because it's all because we've had a bit of we we've waffled on a lot because there was so much to waffle on about, but also we lost a bit of time. Um, listen, I'm going to make an executive decision here because we've done two hours already and we've got five emails. There are a lot of them and I think we can we can postpone them till next week if that's okay with you, JK. Of course, of course. I think yeah. if, they're, if they're more generic emails, they're not specifically about games, so fair enough. No, so why not? I yeah. think we can do that. Yeah. Uh, and then I promise I promise that we won't... Mind you, we've got Tony on next week, so we've got no chance of not waffling on for hours and hours and hours, but we'll do our best. So apologies for that. We'll be back in a minute to say goodbye. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Footballfancast.com. Right, Chelsea Fancast here with your Uncle Stanford Chidge and the delightful Jonathan Kidd. Whoop. And the just absolutely fantastic Mark Meehan, who has entertained us royally for the last two weeks with his knowledge and stories about the wonderful uh, two seasons of Eddie McCready. Well done, Mark. Bravo. Thank you. Bravo, Mark. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. Brilliant. Uh, now, as you probably know, we, we've done a long, a long show already. So I'm, I'm, I'm apologies to those who've sent emails in who were, just to remind myself, uh, they were Stephen Marshall, William Clayforth, Nate Piacentino, Neil Spencer and Jay Whitcroft. I promise you faithfully that we will read them out next week and I promise you faithfully we will not waffle on so long that I have to postpone them. But if the if the Premier League can postpone football, we can postpone emails for a week, aren't we, JK? I think so. I think that. I think so. So I'm afraid that uh, is all we've got time for this week. Uh, we will be back next Monday when Jonathan and I will be joined by the Right Honourable, uh, the Right Reverend Tony Glover. I can't. We haven't spoken to Tony for a while. Uh, we're going to be looking back at the 1977-78 season in our 50 years of Chelsea series. Uh, Tony would have grown up a bit since the last time we saw him, which I think was 1970. So he may be going more regularly. We'll find out next week, won't we, J.K.? We will. We will indeed. Um, if there is any any important news to to bring to you as well, we will of course talk about that uh now before that on this friday we've got another edition of my chelsea as one of the chelsea fancast crew discuss how they become a chelsea supporter uh this has been great fun to do by the way i need to get you on one of those mark oh look so yeah, we're happy to do it just give me a shout yeah, yeah i will you want. I'll, 
I'll get my people to talk to your people and we will get a date. Uh, my, uh, my agent only charges a very small fee, as you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah 0% of nothing is still nothing. Yeah, exactly, uh, square root of nothing. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, they are great fun to do. I, I mean, I've been really enjoying listening to them. It's really lovely to hear what you all, you lot, you guys who do the show with me have to say, and it's just been great fun. So check that out. There'll be another one out on Friday uh, talking about how they became Chelsea supporters, their favourite players, matches, growing up, best and worst moments as a Chelsea fan, and even their favourite Chelsea song. Um, oh, but if you like your podcast, which clearly you do, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to us rabbiting on for so long, do check out Alex uh, Churchill, who, of course, was last week's uh, guest on My Chelsea. She does the History Hack uh, podcast, which is just brilliant. She's, she's interviewed the entire cast of Band of Brothers, Hornblower, Sharp, you name it. And every day she puts out a new podcast on history. It's very easy to find. History Hack on Podbean or Spotify, I believe it's on Spotify too. So check that out. Of course, you can find us in the, all the usual places, ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, and all sorts of other podcast distributors, uh, many of whom uh, can also be found, well, all the other Chelsea podcasts and us can be found on the Chelsea Blues app, as they put here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Right, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast. Me at Stanford Chid, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd. Uh, now, I'll see if I can get this right. Mark is Eddie Mac B A W A. Correct. There we go. Uh, Gate 17 Marco at Dean Mears, uh, at Joe Tweedy, at Goldie59, at Grocer Jet UK, at Martin Wickham, at DanSilver73, at Liam underscore Toomey, at CFCGWLB. There you go. Don't forget to check our Instagram and Facebook accounts out at Chelsea Fancast. We're done. Uh, Mark, I, I can't even begin to thank you enough other than to say. We're going to see you again, aren't we? Uh, yeah, so t- t- tonight was a, a, a positive one. I'll, I'll do my masochist impersonation in a couple of weeks when we talk about our 78-9 relegation season. Well, there you go. He's, he's a good man, Jonathan. I mean, what can you say? <laughs> <laughs> he does it all. Brilliant stuff. Mark, you've been tremendous tonight. You really have. And Jonathan, what a delight and a pleasure, obviously, to see you and hear what you had to say about your experience. Because don't forget... Right, you know, I know we've been bigging Mark up because he, he's got. All, you were there. You are so integral to these fifty years of Chelsea thing because you were there at all of them. I, I mean, I'm eleven, nineteen seventy six. I'm about as useful useful as a chocolate teapot. Your, your time will come then when you will be eighties, mate. Yeah, 80s. yeah, you will just be non-stop. We won't be able to get a word in edgeways. No, no, because the trouble is when I went in the eighties, I only went for a bit of a laugh to go and get drunk. So, like the under the bridge evening, I don't really remember a lot about them. <laughs> I call, I call, I call the period, Jonathan. I call the. Period period between 1983 and about 1993 when I got married my Keith Richards years because I don't really remember anything that happened for 10 years so there you go so I should be relying on you heavily and whoever else we no, have well, but, I'll, well Jonathan I'll try, I'll try and as I say I'll nudge you along if necessary yeah you do that mate you've been brilliant as always uh thank you again Mark thank you to all the people in Mixler who've uh, joined us this evening as you always do been great seeing you in there too right thank you for listening see you next time until then keep it blue keep it Chelsea and keep it what keep it Chelsea up, up the, the Chelsea <laughs> It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. 
Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.